I mean, aside from my regular traveling gear, um, I, I'll um, from now on I'll always have my uh, rifle with me. <laughs> always. Well, you know, at least when we leave camp, and okay. uh, uh, you know, I, I covered it in some uh, some white. Uh, you know, tissue, uh, fabric, whatever, to keep it warm and camouflaged. Okay. I'm just gonna bring my pistol because I can keep that like inside my parka. Yeah. Against my body. Uh, what about letting uh, William uh, investigate the planes a little bit before we, with all your expertise and uh, skills in those areas? Yeah, that's that's a very uh, methodical process of warming up the planes for flight, pre-flighting them. Yeah. And that's that's all standard. So there's multiple safety checks and and uh, you know, checks. Uh, but uh, but are you the, the pilot? Uh, are you the yeah. pilot? Uh, okay. I just want someone we trust to do that. Yeah, well, he's yeah. part of the flight crew as well. So you're you're going to be involved with all of the the, the heating up and preparation for departure. Um, and uh, you can fly one of the planes as well. Um, so there are three planes going all in all. Two, um, the Weddell and the Enderby, uh, are the two um, stuck with the more planes, and then the Bell, which is the smaller plane. Uh, those are two Boeings, and the, the Bell is the smaller plane. I have a diagram of it somewhere, um, which is the Lexington Expeditions plane. Let's see. Just to give you an idea. Yeah, there's a saying in aviation, trust but verify. So no, yeah. no self-respecting pilot would ever trust maintenance without doing the pre-flights and everything themselves. Yeah, that's a pretty good-sized monoplane. That's the Boeing. And... So for this trip to Lakes Camp, we don't anticipate there's any chance of survivors, right? Because it's been no. so long and... Yeah, and also, so if you remember, uh, just to go back to the initial materials you got, the, uh, in short, um, uh, uh, a camp was set up in the interior when they discovered the mountains, uh, and about uh, 12 people, I think, um, were there. A storm hit, and uh, they pretty much all died. There were only a couple of survivors, um, uh, or rather, there, I don't there were no survivors, and the um, the team that arrived to uh, rescue them the day after buried everybody there and uh, returned, um, telling the story of, of how they they all perished there. Uh, and that was uh, the team that came back, uh, having investigated them more, Dyer and Danforth, um, and what else? What else? What else? But he became a mental patient, this Danforth, right? Yeah, and Dyer disappeared and uh, hasn't been heard for, uh, from, from a, for a while. Mm. And uh, they radioed back a whole bunch of uh, things that they found there. Uh, I've sent you all the radio recordings and whatnot. Um, and uh, that's about it. Is that where so, we have radio recordings then? Yeah. From from when they were at that camp, they 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 made some discoveries there that were uh, that sounded pretty amazing. Uh, Which for our, for our sensibilities makes it sound like they all kind of went crazy, right? Because the stuff that they were reporting just does not make logical sense. Yeah, it sounded like some of it was a little 
a little over the top. Um, and so they found a cave. Uh, they made a, a drill there, uh, or a, a, a drilling, and um, they were using equipment developed by um, uh, one of the engineers at uh, Miskatonic University. Uh, and you have a similar uh, yeah. equipment with you on the on the expedition as well, as you might remember from the manifests. And um, uh, so they, they found a cave and they found some things in there and um, uh, radioed back about them and then uh, the storm unfortunately wiped out the camp. Oh, so then we should, we should probably take with us stuff that we, would be useful for like excavating things that have been for getting frozen things working or excavating big picks and stuff for melting ice. Yeah, so here, mm -hmm. let me tell you what is being brought. Uh, How long are we uh, going there? Are we coming back uh, to the... Are we setting up a new camp there? Yeah, you're, you're bringing everything to, to stay there for a while. Okay. Um, so you're bringing... So I'm things. packing wine as well. Okay. <laughs> So uh, the Lexington expedition is bringing the Bell, which is a smaller plane. They're bringing uh, uh, Lexington herself is going, Priestley, whom you know, and Tuvinen, who is, uh, I think, their camp, one of their camp guys or one of their polar expedition uh, experts. Uh, and they're also bringing camp supplies on the first trip. And there's going to be trips every day to bring more people and more equipment. Um, the Weddell, which is one of your Boeings, uh, brings uh, you guys more. Uh, and uh, the Enderby is going to bring uh, Sykes, Packard, and Cole. Uh, Sykes is the polar guide. Uh, Packard and Cole are the camp uh, um, specialists, or whatever I forget what it's called. Uh, and then also camp supplies. And then every day you're going to—they're going to bring more. So, they're gonna so we bring, can radio back if there's anything. To yeah, if you need anything, uh, it's not going to be the last time. Uh, I think. Uh, <laughs> so the plan is to bring first supply. First you fly up with uh, personnel and camp equipment and then uh, you set up the camp and then tomorrow the, the drills uh, are going to come up and uh, the drills are, are large so it takes a, little, uh, takes a couple of, of trips to fly everything up and more people are going to come on every trip as well to kind of help, uh, you know, because you, you bring all these scientists, you have geologists and uh, snowologists and isologists and so forth. Um, and so I guess some trucks will be driving there? No, it's too far. It's 600 far. miles across right. Antarctic ice waste. We're just hoping it's possible to land there, I guess. Yeah, but the, the inference is that it is because that's what Lake uh, did. They flew up there and, and landed. Mm -hmm. uh, Do so we have a sledges and dogs uh, on the plane? Uh, not in the first, uh, I forget, it's like the second or third day maybe is planned to, to arrive. Um, also, I should say that there are, there are small caches of... Um, uh, supplies that have been uh, laid out with uh, sled dog teams uh, towards the <laughs> cats, towards the camp, um, so that if anything were to happen, you could trek your way across the ice, supposedly, and, and find those. Or if you had to, you know, uh, emergency land the plane and so forth. Um, so, so you leave with with that information as well. And um, yeah, that's about it. Ali. All right. Um, so, uh, how big is the crew? You mentioned a bunch of names, but how many people? Left? So, it, in the the first day, it's going to be more. It's going to be you guys. It's going to be um, Sykes and Packard and Cole. Uh, I actually meant to set up a system that made it easier for us to track who was who was going and who wasn't. But um, are you writing it down, Jens? 
Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you have, so you have Moore, Sykes, Packard, Cole, you guys, and then from the Lexington expedition, it's Lexington, Priestley, and Tuvinen. Finish. And they're flying their own plane? Yeah. They're flying the smaller Boeing? Yeah. Um, so it's November 27th, in, early in the morning at 8 a.m., um, the uh, Enderby sets off with uh, Starkweather and uh, his small contingent of people to land on the Beardmore Glacier and uh, do some heroic exploration and photo opportunities. And meanwhile, you're all busy packing the plane and getting ready. Um, it's a beautiful day, uh, crystalline clear skies, and um, let's see, I'll read you a travel description for a change. The three aircraft take to the air shortly after lunch on November 27th and fly westward in crystalline skies. Moore perched, uh, perches in Weddell's co-pilot's seat, staring forward into the distant haze with desperate intensity. He does not speak, ignoring everyone, oblivious to all but the spectacle before him. The mood in the aircraft's crowded uh, cabin is tense, a rich mixture of excitement and dread. Everyone knows that soon the expedition will arrive at Lake's camp. Soon everyone will know the truth, will see for themselves what is left of the brave men who died three years ago. No one speaks in the cabin. The whine of the wind and the powerful shuddering roar of the Boeing's engines are felt in everyone's bones. The weather is perfect for flying. Once again, Starkweather's gamble with the season seems to have paid off. Everything is clear and white and cold. The investigators, you guys, investigators, um, pressure faces to breath fog, pains of glass, eager to see, uh, be able to see the ends of the world. The first hints of the mountains of madness are seen less than an hour after takeoff. Dark smudges on the horizon that resolve themselves in time into a line of jagged peaks. Like the Himalayas, Lake reported, and he was correct. These are primordial giants thrusting stark and bare into the upper air. They march off unbroken southeast and northwest until they're lost in the distance. Truly, it seems, the party looks upon the wall at the end of the world. It takes many hours to approach the mountains. They grow clearer only slowly, distant and gigantic as they are. The range is solid, rising like a wall from a distant blurred base. The higher, rise, the higher peaks rise clear of snow, cones, and pyramids, and mighty monoliths of slate-dark stone, so dark against the bright sky that they seem at times to suck in the light, or to be surrounded by a malignant aura of shadow. The very air above those far-off spires seems luminous in comparison, as if some unguessable radiance were illuminating it from behind. As the aircrafts fly nearer, the foothills appear. These are Antarctic rises of more ordinary aspect, rising in some cases thousands of feet above the polar plateau. In any other place, these would be themselves uh, called mountains. Here they're dwarfed into insignificance by the horrible uh, majesty of their parent range. Moore's aeroplane and others must climb up and up again as the land rises beneath them. 8,000 feet, 10, 12,000. Still, the lesser peaks cluster ahead and above, and still beyond them all, the walls of the great mountains loom impossibly huge. By late afternoon, another phenomenon can be seen. Huge shadows reach out from the mighty mountain walls, distorting and shrouding the neighboring peaks and flowing like a gray, many-fingered river over the lower hills and the edges of the plain. 
These mountains are enormous, enough so that even in the summer the sun will pass behind them every day, thrusting long fingers of shadow for more than 20 miles across the foothills and the plains beyond. Here, in the shadow of the Mountains of Madness, there will be night of a sort once again. The closer the trio of the aircraft get to the mountain wall, the more details may be seen. Any of you with binoculars may make out strange, regular outcroppings on the side of some of the nearer peaks. They're cylinders, deep gouges, and cuboid excrescences that look to the observer as if they must have been formed by intelligent hands. The sky ahead above the Miskatonic's silhouette take on a hazy brilliance as the day begins to wane. The rays of sunlight pierce the windows from directly before the craft, carving the jagged western skyline out of blackness and half-blinding the observers searching the ground below. You hear the pilots uh, shouting loudly over the sound of the airplane about how their compasses are uh, behaving erratically and uh, how they have to fly by, by sight and solar compass instead. Um, and any of you with your own compasses uh, verify that they're just kind of like, you know. What about, the, what about the pendulum? Pendulum, that's interesting. <laughs> Is that to be expected that the, that the compass is going cuckoo? No, not normally. Uh, I mean, it's obviously uh, you. I mean, you you have pretty you have a lot of experience in uh, Arctic exploration, and you all you know is that uh, while you can't trust compasses, and uh, you know the closer you get to to true north and all that stuff, uh, this is not normal behavior for a compass. Uh, something is interfering with it, and it could be the airplane. But uh, it probably. But it's the mountains of madness. <laughs> the aircraft radios also start behaving strangely, um, and sort of distortion and interference becomes uh, louder. Um, David, you're you're one of the one of the pilots, and you uh, you have uh, trouble communicating with uh, the base camp. By evening, uh, your aircrafts are prowling above the higher foothills, searching for the site of uh, Lake's camp. And um, everybody, give me uh, everybody except David, give me a health test against uh, just a health test. It's pretty easy. Um, so one can, well, how is it again, Mike? One can choose to spend a point or not. Yeah. And it's yeah. a D six. Yeah. Hello. Uh, I'm not going to spin any Tom, why are you rolling two dice? It doesn't. It's a bug in this fucking piece of shit software. What browser are you using? What? What browser are you using? Chrome. Nice, Christian. Uh, so I'm going to take, whenever it does that, I'm just going to take your first roll. Mm -hmm. um, so both uh, Tom and Jens, you uh, suffer from air sickness. So, yes. you, yeah, you what? get to add plus one uh, to all difficulty levels of uh, your investigative roles for the next day. 
The trick is to keep your head level with the pendulum at all times. <laughs> the air sickness. Is this really a thing? Air sickness? Does this happen? Are you yes, it sickness? happens. Yes. yes. You never had to suffer from it because you are poor. <laughs> <laughs> David doesn't have Jens never had it when he flies first class on. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm holding it as steady as I can. But last time I checked, I don't think a pendulum is that reliable when you're. Moving on a device on a vehicle that's changing its momentum <laughs> inertia. <laughs> I don't think a pendulum is all that reliable. <laughs> <laughs> it's highly sensitive. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, Herr, Herr Dr. Altmaier, uh, you seem to, to get a sense that the pendulum uh, has a will of its own. Mm -hmm. I knew it. There's definitely something interfering with it. It's not reacting the way that it normally would when you're on board a plane in the air. It's angry. It's angry. <laughs> You've angered the pendulum. Uh, by evening, the expedition aircraft were prowling above the higher foothills, foothills uh, searching for the site of Lakes Camp. The ground below is a turbulent landscape of rock and snow. Hillocks and ridges attest to the immensity of the geological pressure. Huge fields and drifts of snow lie caught in depressions and narrow twisting valleys while lesser peaks and ridges of raw stone peek out above glaciers and white-clad white slopes. Lake's camp is in these foothills, at an altitude of 12,000 feet above sea level, a full half-mile above the polar plain. The Miskatonics dominate the western landscape. That's what they're called, usually, the Miskatonics. A brooding wall of dark, heavy escarpments that pulls the eye away from the ground below. More has the coordinates taken from the radio accounts at the time, but the land below is wide. The air above these rough, barren hills is turbulent and difficult to fly through. The aircraft jolts and shudders continuously, slamming dozens or even hundreds of feet up or down in the space of a breath. Small bits of equipment fly loose from their tie-downs and clatter about the cabin. Anyone not secure in their seats may find themselves flung painfully against boxes or metal beams. I'm scared my seat. Uh, <laughs> Give me a preparedness. Um, everybody? Yeah. Uh, well, David, I'm going to forego you because I assume that you know how to strap yourself into a plane. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> what is that? Is that a one? Oh, it's a four. Yeah. Uh, Jens? All right, so um, Tom, you uh, sustain uh, a one-point health uh, loss as you unbuckled yourself uh, to get closer to the window and suddenly you, you guys uh, encounter this um, heavy turbulence. You forgot to put on the turbulence sign. Yeah, ah, sorry. There's, there's, there's put no on your seatbelt sign. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. You can start smoking, but you have to keep the seatbelt on. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, as you as the plane shudders its way through this um, this thin Antarctic air, the Jens and Tom, both of you, uh, start feeling pretty queasy. You're sitting next to each other, so uh, you share this, uh, this one bag that you happen to have, and it's a little inevitable, but some of it misses, and uh, the rest of you can start like smelling how the oh. interior of the aircraft just gets this like really nasty. The hot and polar travelers. <laughs> I, I open the window. 
Yeah, and, and you you have like there's like uh, there's like stuff on your your uh, your pants and whatnot. You're you're gonna want to clear that off when you land because you don't want to get that stuck on there. We're gonna make snow angels when I get there. <laughs> <laughs> As you look out over the the plateau and the the high the the foothills, um, it looks like there's dozens of likely landing places and plateaus and level narrow valleys. It's almost impossible to find uh, Lake's camp. Yeah, and you have the the highest uh, search skill, I think, right? Uh, I have a pair of binoculars if someone wants to take it and use it to search. Ooh. Wait, what is the search skill? What is the search There is... It's like sense, sense trouble is essentially the search, search skill. Ah. So the question is, like, while I'm throwing up and I'm feeling completely useless, my puke, like, flowing into the air, maybe even going zero G for a few moments. <laughs> At this moment, do I sense trouble? No, okay. you don't. In fact, Christian, you notice yes. that the pendulum is behaving uh, kind of erratic. Wait a minute, what's that down there? You notice that there's there's some small irregular or rather regular uh, blotches on the landscape that seem to be the... The camp! The camp! The camp is right there! <laughs> Look, you fools! You missed it! To the left! Uh, more turns around. Where? Where? Stop or what do you call it? <laughs> <laughs> Over there is the fool! He grabs, Look! He grabs the binoculars. I see it! I see it! He turns to you, David. There! Down there! Okay, let's start, uh, start circling that way. <laughs> We're all doing our part. <laughs> it's almost impossible to see the, the remnants of the camp uh, against the pattern of rock, ice, and, uh, and snow below. Uh, it's on a small plateau of level ground, about a mile in length, partially sheltered from the wind by a low ridge and surrounding hills. So David, uh, the winds are fairly violent and gusty. Um, I'm going to need a pilot roll. Is this for approaching or getting low? This is for avoiding the cliffside. You, you, you see, actually, sorry, you, you see uh, where it would be uh, a good place to have had a landing strip, and it's probably where the, the previous expedition would have landed their planes as well, uh, close to the camp um, on a fairly level piece of ground. You can okay, do so it. This is, this, is, this is to land, this roll? Yes. William, oh, okay. do it. Yeah, this is the one I did not want to mess up. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm adding five to the roll. Oh, that was good. Despite when you're coming, have you ever been on, a, on one of those? Well, David, you probably have. Uh, like on one of those planes where you're like, this landing is going to go south <laughs> so bad. <laughs> it's one of those. But then at the, at the end, he kind of just sets it down pretty gently, considering the fact that it's not a paved landing strip. Uh, and the, the airplane shudders to a, a stop over a couple of hundred yards um, of ice and snow. And the two other planes? And the two other planes, are they're circling around. You can see them circling around atop, uh, uh, above you. And as you roll away from the landing strip, they, they start coming in as well. 
that puts us in this chapter. The roar of the engines dies away and it's replaced by silence and uh, this singing wind, uh, kind of a desolate, lonely sound. And for, no, for a moment, no one moves. And then Professor Moron buckles himself and crouches down uh, in the middle of the cabin um, by you guys and kind of looks all of you uh, in the eye by, turn by turn and says, well, you know why we're here, of course. Uh, we're here to find out what happened here three years ago what really happened. I think something terrible took place outside just a few yards from this spot, and I don't know what it was, but it cost me a number of good friends. And the ones who know what it was, the ones who came home, are afraid to tell. I know those men, and I, I knew the men who died, Lake, Atwood, Carroll. They were brave fellows, and they weren't afraid of the unknown. William Dyer, Frank Peabody, they were brave men too, and unafraid of death, unafraid of the truth. Those who came home, however, each and every one are lying about something, something they're unwilling to tell the world. And perhaps I'm wrong about Bill Dyer, but the stolen package might have contained an explanation or a warning or an apology. We have no way of knowing and it doesn't matter anymore. We're here and we're going to discover the truth for ourselves. I ask your help in this. You're not afraid to look under rocks. You're not afraid to make sense of what you find. I don't know. I want to know what's here, where everything is. Before we call Starkweather, don't move anything yet. Find everything. Clear off as much snow as you can without disturbing anything. We have uh, the better part of a day before the drill and ice melters arrive. And apart from setting up your tents, the site is yours until then. I don't know. I want to know what killed my friends. And he stares out of the window at the bell, which has just landed and uh, which is starting to disembark. And then he turns to the door and uh, opens and lets the cold wind in into the cabin. Finally, fresh air. Professor, the spirit of bold curiosity, we shall go forward, my Führer. Uh, Professor, um, since we're going forth into the unknown, and, and obviously something terrible happened here, I have a recommendation that we don't, we don't separate in groups smaller than two men at a time. So we have a buddy system to rely on. That's a, that's a good good suggestion. Uh, I, I don't want to be with the German guy. Uh, his his pendulum does not count as a companion. Hi, The other planes have landed and uh, are starting to, to disembark, and um, the the camp crew are going to go set up the camp, and, and you yeah. guys can start to, to explore the camp and whatnot. I assume they're setting up camp a little bit away so we don't disturb the uh, yeah. their campsite. Uh, in fact, it's going to be, I think it's about 200 meters away. Um, let's see. Um, I could just suggest an animal, but would it be worth listening to some of those snippets that were recorded on their radio? Uh, sure, hold on and I'll see if I can make that happen. Here I played a recording which lasts for about 12 minutes. Uh, unfortunately, I used uh, copyrighted material, so I can't really put it in here. Um, but uh, essentially, it's a radio transmission that I sent to the players when I first recruited them to, um, to play this campaign. And um, 
it's a kind of a chopped up radio recording from an audio book that I used that uh, emulates the transmissions that were sent from Lakes Camp. And those essentially just go over a lot of the basics in uh, At the Mountains of Madness. Um, I felt that was a good way to give them some of the details that they would otherwise have, like their characters would have known from the world at large. And uh, that's it. And I now return you to the game uh, after they've listened to this. Uh, yeah, there's another broadcast, but this is the one that you probably want to listen to. Uh, the other one. Uh, can you just explain again what is it and why we're we listening to it? <laughs> uh, hold on. Uh, the soundboard is back online. This is the radio broadcast from Lakes Camp. Yeah, they're, they're making periodic broadcasts about their discoveries. Yeah. And how did we and how did we listen to it and why exactly now? Uh, you're listening to it because uh, it's been about a year since I sent out the initial stuff, so you probably haven't listened to it for a long time and didn't remember any of the details. And Jens asked to listen to it, so now Jens, you explain uh, if you have anything to explain. Otherwise, we'll consider it a flashback. So, okay, yeah. I was just, I was just, I was just a little bit yeah. confused what was going on. And, our characters would have and also these guys need some... It's like the only record of the, the, the expedition, official yeah. record. Because immediately after this, everything went to hell. Like this storm yeah. or what it was happened and and they all died. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, 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 I get that. I was just, I just didn't know why we were listening to it. <laughs> okay, and I, think, I think we were just setting up camp. <laughs> but I got out of this recording that I have <clears throat> Like that, they actually found specimens of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just like the other guys found spiders the other day. No, they saw spiders. Nobody found them. Right? Somebody. That saw was it. so crazy, Tom. This is different. Yeah. Uh, Who knows? Crazy. Okay, so they, said they got fourteen specimens. So everybody, be aware. Somewhere around here, there's probably fourteen specimens of something. Unless they were snow crazy. Unless they were snow crazy. But the dogs, didn't you listen to the dogs? They were crazy. Snow crazy. Well, we've had our fair share of stupid crazy dogs, so... If we have dogs... They didn't even get here when it happened. If we have dogs with us here, they're gonna go crazy as well from the snow. I think that's fairly likely to imagine. Okay, and he was making an estimate, I don't know, he was making a statement that they seem to be 60 million years old. I don't know how he managed to do that dating, but that was the observation. And just this, this uh, complicated description of their uh, anatomy, something involving, involving... Tentacles. A, a total of 25 tentacles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard it. So, uh, they don't really seem like something that we know, right? And they were each, uh, so they're like, they're sort of like a humanoid with tentacles. That's kind of what I got. I don't know. Um, let me move you to here. Okay, so I moved you to the map of uh, the, the camp and... Um, the left side is uh, the Miskatonic University, like lakes camp, essentially. Outlines of, you know, the, the things that are that are there. On the right-hand side, um, which if you if you look at the map, 
the left-hand side map. If you go to the lower right, it's that direction, about you know 200 meters or so. That's where your camps are set up. And uh, just to go quickly over uh, the camp layout of the the Lexington and Stark with the Moor expeditions, you have the Lexington expedition camp, which is a five tents. There's a, a small you build these small uh, walls of ice and snow to kind of cover from the wind. The predominant winds are coming from the north and uh, from the mountains. <clears throat> and um, you got the plain parking lot. And then you have uh, the Starkweather Moor Expedition Camp, where in, uh, you have the, the various tents laid out in this little U-shaped. All right, so essentially uh, the, the camp crew and more, and to some smaller extent, you guys helped set up the camp. Um, you've landed, um, I mean, the, the sun never really sets, but you've landed at uh, night, I think, more or less. Yeah, so essentially you, at this point, like you, uh, you, you start just unloading the, the Boeing and, and whatnot, and... Um, the the pilots that includes you David you're kind of checking over the the planes and making sure that they're they're in good shape and uh, ready to, to take off early in the morning um, and uh, the radio aerial antenna is being erected as well and um, you see uh, Lexington and her people there they start to set it up as well and Priestley uh, comes back from the plane with a small camera and a tripod and he starts uh, you know, recording recording the scene, and that's it. And you're kind of left to to do whatever exploration you need to do. Well, let's do a quick overview inspection and yeah, okay. And uh, and then yeah, like after the camp, because I think it's probably better to do an early night, get some sleep, and then uh, dig in tomorrow properly. Mm. So uh, just for record, it's about minus twenty degrees. Um, currently, uh, let's see, so long to sit up. Who wants to spoon tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Got a date. I have wine. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> okay, so you start surveying the camp. Um, so if you look at the map, uh, you'll see the the big squarish parts on the right-hand sides look to be uh, probably aircraft shelters. You see bits of wings of the Dornier aircraft that the previous expedition uh, flew kind of sticking out of, uh, of two places. You see the, the tail uh, rudder and the wing up on the top one and then like the part of another plane. Um, and... Uh, you're kind of coming up from from the bottom there, and uh, you see there's like a little, just what is that? Just north of there, there's a little um, uh, thing um, where somebody somebody seems to have been as well. Um, you see a little uh, windsock actually uh, sticking out of the ground, um, almost falling off, but wavering in the wind still. Three years later, uh, in between the the airplane and the, the actual camp. And then you just see these, uh, there's like these uh, um, uh, indentations in the snow and some, some hummocks. Uh, the indentations are the eight um, oblong uh, little 
outlines there and um, then the line that goes down seems to be these small uh, hummocks, which is like a small, you know, hill about a maybe a yard tall or so. Um, and that's about it. The okay. what else can I say? I can say that on the on the the eight patterned outlines, uh, as you look closely and you start to kind of wipe away some of the snow, you see that it's it's frozen solid ice, um, and underneath you can just make out dark blotches um, and uh, a guess, Maunus, uh, your, your guess would be that it's probably uh, tents. So it takes some work to excavate them. Oh, they're pretty, pretty well yeah. cased and nice. Oh, we're not yeah. getting in there anytime soon. It's going to take quite a lot of work. Um, so, so what, can we just wait for spring? <laughs> well, given that it's high summer, that's going to take a while. Damn I don't it. know how much it's going to work. But are we in a state where we need to uh, make camp our, ourselves, or, or do we have time for investigating this? Uh? Yeah, the the camp like you've already uh, you've helped with some of that stuff, but you also have a camp crew, and that's what they do. That's why they're there. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Okay. But I mean, it's not like uh, we've been uh, flying all day and tired, and, and or do we have time before we? Uh, you are, we, but but this is why you're here. So I assume that. You would want to, Let the clips handle the camp. And I mean, it is it is early evening, uh, so you're not like at some point you're going to probably going to have to sleep as well. But so let's get cracking then. Do we have ice picks? Wait, so you must be doing labor now to dig stuff out. Yeah. Or dynamite. <laughs> you stand there. And, and uh, especially for those of you who haven't uh, been this far away from everything before, you're suddenly hit by this, the complete loneliness of this place. You're, you've never seen mountains this tall before, and they seem to dwarf everything around you, and the landscape is just white and black. It suddenly strikes you how far away from home you are, and uh, how easy it would be for things to go wrong. You mean more wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and beyond that, it's just there's the wind, but beyond that, it's just silent. There's there's only the sounds that that you bring yourselves. There's no life anywhere, only you. Well, our priority right now is making sure we have our life support taken care of, so we can survive. You know, making sure our shelters are good, uh, so that we can have time here to explore the rest of the... To be honest, I kind of hope I die here because the trip down here <laughs> sucks so much and I don't really want to do it all again to get home. You can stay. I tell my wife and kids I love them. <laughs> and then I just go into the hills. Um, so the, uh, the other pilots... Um, have prepped uh, the Weddell and the Enderby for takeoff, and they, they leave about an hour after. The, the Weddell leaves about an hour after you've uh, arrived, and the Enderby follows an hour after that when they've been emptied out. And uh, they're going to return uh, tomorrow. We're on our own for a day, huh? Okay. Um, well, we, we want to make sure there's no readily apparent danger, right? That's our priority, because we don't want to be surprised by anything. So... Well, I think what, what we should do first is just uh, to uh, go around and mark everything we can find, like put up some little barriers to make sure that other people don't carelessly wander on top of old tents and stuff like that. So I think we need to just, you know, 
be a bit methodical yeah. about all this and uh, start to mark down everything, map it out. Uh, just do the overall survey of the place. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense to me. So we just understand the scope of the, the Listen to me, I'm the archaeologist here, so <laughs> yeah. follow my lead. I do what we normally do on a site, archaeology <laughs> site, and start to, you know, secure all the important pieces, mm -hmm. map, map it out. I, I, I assume we brought some kind of like orange tape thing and stuff like that and just starts to, uh, to, to line it up. Yeah, probably, yeah. <clears throat> um. Maybe we can even uh, try to anticipate how they would have built the camp so we can identify more important tents to begin with, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, how... Uh, yeah, Maybe no. there's even some old, uh, I don't know, layouts of what the camp was supposed to be laid out like. Uh, anything yeah. like that, so we don't spend all day digging into a crew quarter when we need to find the lab. And all. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, you don't have any, you don't have any old uh, documentation or anything like that, um, but... Um... Well, I'll try and talk to some of the, the crew, uh, the, the, the camp people and uh, involve them in suggesting where things might have been laid out yeah. as well. Uh, well, I mean, they, it, it seems like the, the, the tents would be, you know, where, where people slept. It's, it's going to be hard to know exactly which one is which, but... Um, yeah, there's there's not a much you can see just from from the the ice and snow beyond beyond what I've already told you. Um, yeah. But anyway, secure the site so nobody steps on anything. Mm -hmm. So basically, from what we can see, there are only tents here. They didn't. There's no cabin or anything like that. No cabins, no. Are we also only in tents? Yeah. Um, one more and, and the dissatisfied with, with how the camp is coming along, uh, he comes up to join you and then kind of walks around the, the camp in silence and, and tries to, to get an overview of, of what's there and kind of asks, so what do you, what do you think we should, should we start with the tents, try and excavate one of them, see what's there? I'll use a point in archaeology if you want and just to, uh... Well, I don't know what you what are you looking for. No, I'm not looking for anything in particular. I just want to, you know. Just want to spend the point. You can do that. Uh, fuck off. <laughs> no, but yeah. I, I want to. I need to know what you. Well, just everything I've been saying, like uh, you know, trying to organize a little bit. And... Um. Well, let's see. Or I suppose I can collect some evidence. But yeah, I mean, if everything is under 10 feet of snow, I guess it's a little early to, to go yeah, too much into it. It's a crap sheet, I guess, that's when you pick. Yeah. So you notice, Tom, um, uh, spend that point. On evidence or? Uh, archaeology. Okay. You notice that a few uh, hundred yards to the northwest of where the camp is, um, there's a small uh, cairn. Um, Can you mark it? No, because it's not on this map. It's, oh, okay. it's off the map. Um, that, is that like a pile of rocks? Yeah, essentially uh, ice and stone. Uh, it's about 15 feet wide, about 10 feet across, about 4 feet high at the center of it. Like a little 
kind of you know like shaped like this um, and uh, you can see this the stone it looks like it's been it's been blasted from like the local hillside with explosives and fastened to the top of the cairn there's a uh, Smaller stones, uh, there's the faded flag of the United States of America and the Miskatonic University uh, expedition. And you see wedged against the base of the rock, uh, kind of mostly hidden by snow now. Uh, and you notice also that you've been there for a little bit that there's a constant wind coming off of the mountains carrying snow that starts to slowly cover up everything that uh, you saw when the, the tents you've set up and so forth. Like ever so slowly, they just start getting, getting covered up with snow. Um, but you see this broad wooden plank uh, that's been deeply and carefully carved and the inscription blackened with, uh, with ink that reads, In Memoriam, Miskatonic Antarctic Expedition, January 24th, 1931. And then a list of names. Uh, I'll read them out loud. Uh, Donald Atwood, Philip Boudreau, Nigel Brennan, Augustus Carroll, Theodore Daniels, Thomas Fowler, Percival Lake, Ashton Mills, Gregory, Gregory Moulton, Peter Orendorf, Robert Watkins, and then at the bottom in quotation marks, we've opened the door to a new world and none now can say what we shall find. Dun, dun, dun. How many of the crew member was that? That was a lot of people. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven people. And how many were in the camp? Uh, Twelve people. Uh, so if you remember, um, uh, Dyer reported that uh, they buried 11 people and um, uh, one was missing, Getney. So obviously the missing guy was the one who made this. Wait, so what or was it this the rescue re operation that made this? This is the rescue operation. Yeah. Sorry, so there's something I haven't understood. So this, there was a storm, uh, 11 or 12 people died. Um, and then there was a rescue operation afterwards. So they came there in vain. Yeah, they came after the storm and uh, found the camp. They found the camp, but they didn't investigate anything? They didn't find these specimens or anything? Uh, the Well, you have the information from Dyer about the... Um, how they came to, to find the camp. Uh, let me see if I can find exactly what Dyer said when he came back. Du, 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 du. Let's see. January 25th, Dyer's rescue expedition left Beardmore with 10 men, seven dogs, a sled, and a lot of hope, piloted by McTie. Uh, they took off 7 a.m., were at Lake's camp by noon, several, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, a radio announcement uh, on, f the, on January 25th, 4 p.m., um, was sent to the world that Lake's entire party had been killed and the camp all but obliterated by incredible fierce winds that night before. Gedney's body was missing, presumably carried off by the wind. The remainder of the team were dead and so grievously torn and mangled that transporting the remains was out of the question. Lake's dog, dogs were also dead. Dyer's own uh, dogs were extremely uneasy around the camp and the few remains of Lake's uh, uh, specimens. Um, 
asked for uh, the new animals uh, that were reported in the uh, radio uh, broadcast, broadcasts um, uh, described by Lake. The only specimens found by Dyer were damaged, um, but were uh, still whole enough to ascertain the lake's descriptions were probably wholly and impressively accurate. It was decided that an expedition in a lightning plane would fly into the higher peaks of the range before everyone returned home. Uh, and then... Uh, January 26th, um, Dyer uh, talks about his trip with Danforth into the mountains and describes the incredible difficulty in gaining the altitude re uh, necessary to reach even the lowest of the passes at 24,000 feet. Uh, he confirms Lake's opinion that the higher of the peaks were very primal strata, unchanged since at least Comanchean times. Um, he discusses some of the cuboid formations on the mountainside and mentions that approaching these passes uh, could be navigable by ground parties, but that the rarefied air makes breathing at those heights very uh, a real problem. And describes the land beyond the mountain pass as a lofty and immense super plateau, um, as ancient and unchanging as the mountains themselves. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then the Dyer group returned and spent the day burying the bodies and collecting books, uh, notes, and etc. for the trip home. Um, and then on the 27th, they returned to the Beardmore uh, Glacier and uh, uh, returned home from McMurdo. All right, so they didn't find some aliens. Uh, they found the specimens that uh, they talked about. They were all damaged. Okay, so it's like they find them some sort of totally unknown humanoid life form. They don't really seem to make a big deal out of it. They just, ah, they were kind of damaged. I guess we'll leave them here. Who cares? Off we go. Yeah, I mean, the, the first expedition made a big deal out of it. Yeah. So just to give you an idea of, of how hard it would be to clear these things out, it takes about uh, three to four people, about six hours, to fully clear one of these, one of these uh, sites. Okay. One of the tents. Um, yep. So um, anyway, you're standing by, by the cairn. What else? I'm just getting a little bit in doubt because there's already been a rescue mission here, and they checked out the campsite, so what can we really hope to find that they didn't find already? Uh, are, you, are you saying that to anyone in particular? Uh, yeah, what can we hope to find that they didn't find already? <laughs> I think... I think there's something they haven't been telling us. They seem very unwilling to divulge details of what exactly they found here. I think there's more than meets the eye. He starts back towards uh, the tents um, and says, I think if we, if we start now, we could probably clear out one of these sites before, uh, before we have to turn in and get some rest. I think we start with one of the tents. Yeah, I agree, let's okay. do it. All right, let's put our backs and do it. All right, which one do you want to... Do you want to dig into? 
Um, archaeologist, you pick. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll find the most interesting mound and just say this one, and uh, we'll uh, I'll try to make sure people are careful not to punch too many big holes and everything as they start to dig in. Mm-hmm. But but what are we? I mean, what are we looking for exactly? I mean, are there any way one can have a? I mean, I guess we have to use our strength wisely here. Well, what what I suggest we do, I don't I don't think suggest we uncover the tail a, a tent fully. I think it's going to be more like digging a hole into it. Uh, it's it's frozen solid. Yeah, so, uh, you're, so you're not, inside you're not, as well. Yeah, yeah, it's not like the tent and then there's like ice around it. It's like frozen. Okay, great. This is, if ever it was a case for the pendulum to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to let us down. This is it. There's uh, always a case for the pendulum. Uh, so, so what about... To find I think in, in terms of the wind, we can expect that it comes from the north most of the time from the, the mountains the southwest actually remember that you're because you're on the Antarctic like look at the compass on the left hand side of the map so the wind is coming from the top of the map which is also where the mountain range is ah I see I thought you said that uh, it, it came from the north but okay the north anyway, of, yeah, yeah. Uh, that might suggest where one would put the sleeping quarters compared to the laboratories. Um, so I guess the long row of tents on the left side would be sleeping quarters, would be my guess, so that uh, some of the tents in the top would shelter the others from the wind a little bit. Whereas the eight tents... Uh, does that make sense? Or... The ones all grouped together are probably like more utility. Yeah, that's my uh, thought. Workspaces and stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think the workspaces and utility tents makes more are more interesting to investigate in the beginning. So the eight tents grouped together. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. I think we should take uh, the uh, the, let the pendulum decide <laughs> or. Or we let the archaeologist decide and we take the number two from the left on the lower the lower line. So um, two from the left. The pendulum suggests number eight. Number eight, but they're not numbered. So that's probably <laughs> the same one we're talking about. It's the same so one. Hey, what's yeah. that sentence? The pendulum always speaks the truth. <laughs> yeah, the one. Uh, fine. Well, let's take that one. <laughs> We're digging in solid block of ice. That's and 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 the ice we remove, we put uh, uh, like in to shelter the wind from the actual site itself. That's what about way. using dynamite? I mean, uh, you don't have dynamite. You can use a preparedness for this sort of thing. By the way, so the harder. The, the more unlikely it would be for you to have something, the harder it would be. But if you were to want dynamite, it would require a pre- preparedness. Also, I probably wouldn't suggest dynamite for this. But yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to uncover evidence. <laughs> blow it up. Well, they used it for the Cheops pyramid, so... Mm. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Made a big hole. Okay, you, uh, you haul uh, all the equipment together and you all, uh, you know, in the... 
in the waning light of the day, start um, clearing off the this site. And um, you work for a couple of hours, and it becomes clear that uh, there's no tent here. Um, and it takes about you know four or five hours or so for you to to clear out the ice and and so forth. And uh, at the end of it, you you realize that there's no tent, but uh, everything else that was inside the tent is is here. There's uh, beds, loose assortment of clothing, snow gear, and it's all piled in the lee of the snow wall that was built uh, uh, behind the behind the tent. What what do you mean? There's no tent, so it's just uh... it's all there's like there. It's like somebody took the tent, but everything else is there. But so it's, it's like it's, blown away with the wind, or and left all the, and then that's encased in ice. So yeah, maybe evidence that there was some freakish winds or something that stripped all the shelter away. I guess we won't know till we explore other ones. Okay. Do we, uh, we find anything of interest? No. It's all just personal gear. This yeah. this is a sleeping corner. It's yeah, exactly. It's just beds and, and uh, stuff like that. Um, so um, at this point, it's about um, probably eight or nine, ten p.m. Uh, dinner is served at the at your camp, and you all kind of trot back and and uh, hunker down a little bit to get some some food. Um, and you all compare notes as to, you know, what you, what you've seen and what you think and so forth. Uh, and about twice a day, um, more uh, relays the, uh, like your findings to to the rest of the world via the base camp. Uh, there's a radio tent at the, uh, at the, your camp. Um, and so does Lexington. They take turns on on the radio. Um, that's about it. It's getting a little late, um, and uh, you're kind of sitting around um, comparing notes for a while. And, and Moore seems kind of fascinated with with the layout of the camp, and he's he's, he's he starts talking about the snow hillocks that are you know lined up uh, next to where the the tents are, and uh, seems fascinated by those. Beyond that, it's probably time for, for bed. Um, let's see. Anything else anybody want to do before we turn in for the night? Uh, no. Uh, no. Break out some wine? Uh, maybe we should celebrate a little bit. We made it this far. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone who wants, there's a there's a little glass of wine in my tent. Pilot, mm -hmm. if if there were like a freakish wind that that blew the tents away and and then maybe one should go about 100, 200, maybe 300 yards down of downwind down from the wind side and see if there's artifacts laying in the snow or uh, remains of tents or anything along those lines. If, if the weather is clear tomorrow, maybe we can do like a, a little circular exploration around the site as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
So do you want to do that now or you want to wait until the morning? Uh, just a quick glance. I mean, okay. And, uh, and if, I mean, primarily downstream from the wind direction. Yeah. Uh, and if I don't find anything obvious, I'd make a more thorough investigation in the morning. But it's just to, to see if my hypothesis is correct. Okay. Uh, you, uh, you trot out and uh, spend a little time walking downwind. I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly flat, so um, there's not a lot of places uh, things could hide, but um, unless they've been frozen into the, into the ground in the same way that uh, the rest of the stuff has. Um, but you don't find anything in particular uh, downwind from, from the site. Mm. Okay. Um, yep. All right, the next morning, November 28th, um, it's clear, calm, temperature is about minus 18 uh, degrees Celsius most of, the, uh, most of the day. That's zero Fahrenheit for you, David. And uh, most of the morning is spent uh, kind of constructing the rest of the site. And um, around uh, noon, more uh, walks up to the cairn and spends some time alone there for about an hour. Um, kind of mourning his, the loss of his friends. Um, as you talked about the night before, you do kind of a circular exploration around the, around the site, and uh, you find to the uh, southwest, that is the top left, uh, you find a, a site that has uh, what are, it looks like the remnants of probably the, the drill equipment that uh, they were talking about. And it's kind of crushed and hunched over and it's been blown uh, by an Arctic winds for the past three years. So it's, it's stripped of, uh, you know, pain. It's, it just looks like it's been, it's been sitting out there for a very long time. And it, it, it's kind of crouched over like a, a broken hand. Uh, over what looks like it used to be a hole that's been frozen over now, and around the that hole, there's uh, you can see deposits of dirt and, and rock in the in the ice that's been frozen frozen in, and then a kind of a, a an old path leading down to the to the rest of the camp. So this looks like it, this would been would have been the the dig where they they found that cave that they talked about. Okay, so we'll probably have to excavate that at some point as well. Yeah. Um, the first parts of the Peabody drill is uh, set to arrive today. First parts of the? Peabody drill. It's the drill, the ice uh, drill. Okay. Let's, uh, let's try and, uh, well, I guess we could dig some more. It'd be nice to find some information about the, their drilling so we can better drill uh, based on what they found. So uh, you have you have the rest of the day to, to start uh, looking into other stuff. What do you? How many people would have slept in the tent we the tent we dug up yesterday? Two. Two. Okay. So that's twelve. That means this whole batch of tents are probably the sleeping quarters then. Mm. Okay. So we More or less. switch over to the line of uh, six on the side. Maybe. I don't know what you guys at think. Then, at least yeah. then we'll get a sample and we'll kind of know what's in which. So. Yeah. That's okay. Let's, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you move over to, to the hummocks and uh, start to gather equipment around. More comes down um, as you uh, as you line up around it. Uh, which one do you which one do you pick? Altmaier. Use the pendulum. 
not again. Uh, I think we take the second one from the top. Second one from the top. No pendulums. Let's just see what the pendulum says. It never hurts to ask the pendulum. Like I said, second one from the top. <laughs> always right. <laughs> All right. Can you put a pin in it so we agree? It's yeah, exactly. Okay, so let me. Can, just... can you leave pins in the ones we've explored yes, as well? Yes, I can. Uh, copy, paste. Put a pin in it, man. All right. Pin it. Pin it. So um, <clears throat> these hummocks. Um, they're very low and broad. They rise about 18 inches above the, the snow. And it's actually quite easy to clear it out. Um, and Moore uh, is, is you know, with you guys. He's very eager as well to, to figure out what's in here. Um, and oh, I, can't, I keep reminding people to calm down and not try to destroy everything. <laughs> they uh, hack you to pieces. Dynamite? <laughs> As you dig through uh, the, the snow and, and the ice, uh, it's, it's fairly easy to, to clear, as I said. Um, you soon come upon what can only have been one of Lake's specimens. Ooh. And as you clear out the ice, you, you see that it's quite damaged. Um, and it strikes you that this is indeed a very bizarre thing to behold you could see why somebody would say that it it was partially plant-like but at the same time it it doesn't look like a it's not a plant maybe it's time to use a biology point here um sure you so you you clear it out and you you pull it with some strain out of the out of the hole there's kind of a cylindrical uh, hole it's been buried in, um, and uh, you pull it out and, and lay it flat on the ice. And everybody, you know, the Lexington expedition, the, the camp crews and so forth, kind of just gather around in a, in a circle. And at this point, you're, let's see, how many people are you? One, two, three, four, ten, ten, eleven people? And you all just stand around this thing lying on the ice, in silence for a while, just staring at it. Kind of hard to grasp what exactly this thing would be, and it's also going to cost you a stability check. Oh, <laughs> now it comes! Now it comes! So hold on, yeah. let me write. Uh... It, now it begins at session seven. <laughs> six, session six. The, the slow descent to madness. That's why I went mad to begin with. There's nothing really to lose. Oh, we have to <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's only going to get worse than, from here on yeah. out if we can't make this one. I'm going to fight madness with madness, Hyland. <laughs> Beat that. <laughs> uh, so, let me see if I have the rules for that. It's 1d6, that's it? Uh, yeah, and you can add points from your... Um, from your uh, stability, if you want to. Nah, it's just a little specimen. I'll wait till the real stuff comes out. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, I hit a four. I'm gonna take a straight road. And since I'm used to digging up old shit and monsters and whatnot, 
Yeah, oh, you can. Dinos dinosaurs, you can, anyway. You can try talking your way out of this. <laughs> he he is nice. fighting madness with madness. He rolled a nine. On a die six. Okay, so <laughs> this is really funny. So everybody except for Christian incur a four point stability loss. Four. What? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the pendulum. The pendulum protects me. Okay, wait. So. Well, that sucks. So I just spent two points on rolling a stability check. So oh, you did? Uh, yeah. Well, sorry, you lost six. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I have I have four stability points left. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, what could possibly go wrong? It's just a little specimen. <laughs> yeah, you're you're standing around, and so just to kind of iterate. Um, then we need a picture, highlight. We need a picture to okay, see this. I, I do have. I have a lot of different pictures, and none of them fully satisfy uh, the horror. The madness. Horror. <laughs> the horror. So let me just see if I can find one here. If somebody loses four stability point, we we need a picture. <laughs> yes. Uh, picture. It didn't happen. <laughs> oh my god. My, my scientific uh, background is shaken. Uh, I'll need more wine tonight. Okay, I'm going to use this one, but um, posting it in the chat. So none of them are, are quite right, um, but uh, this is as close as I could get to. Uh, what? It's got a, a five uh, five starred head. It's got a five uh, kind of five sided body, <clears throat> slightly barrel based. It's got ridges running along each you know five uh, sides, and inside of those you you see these because it's dead and it's just kind of lying there. It's like everything is just splayed out on the ice. It's got everything is is duplicated around the the center of it. Uh, including uh, its its wings, they would seem like, uh, and these long and tentacles here are fucking horrible. But um, these long tentacles that split out into five other tentacles that also split out into five different tentacles. So it just becomes this long web of these loose, flaccid uh, tentacles as they lie there. This the the specimen you pulled out. Its head is crushed. Uh, it looks severely damaged. Um, parts of the wings are, are torn and broken. But as you as you um, as you start to handle uh, the, the the thing itself, you you realize that the skin is incredibly tough, um, and uh, it would take quite a lot to, to damage it the way that it's it's been damaged. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I did. Uh, it kind of reminds me of something in the ocean or something along those lines. It does does it have this aquatic? Uh, it yeah, that's, that's feel what, to it. It does in a way, yeah. yeah it looks um, like a, a crustacean or like a starfish well, kind of thing. But uh, is it is it because it's like um, because is it like fresh-ish? Is it like you know like is it something that would have been frozen pretty? I mean preserved pretty pretty well so we have no real idea how, how old it could be but it seems like it's not it's not like uh, it's not stone or anything like it's not 
It's not sixty-five million years old. It's frozen. Um, you so you you have some <laughs> you have some uh, you know experience with with uh, you know old uh, things and so forth. There's something strange about the just the material of, of this thing. It's not it's not like anything else you've encountered. Um, yeah. I mean, because so, everything else you usually find from 65 million years ago is a stone. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's not stone. So whatever that gives you. Um, just to give you, here's here's another example, um, and they in, I mean, there's no canonical image of these things, but uh, in my mind, they fall in between these two things. Um, this one is a little inaccurate in certain other ways. Shut up, um, Michael. Can you just describe one thing? I mean, I just lost four stability points. Well, what? How does that manifest? What's the experience of that? So the experience of stability points is essentially. Um, oh my God! It's ugly. You see yeah. this thing that, for all intents and purposes, has no. It doesn't ex like it should not exist. There's nothing like this in the world, and um, there's something in the back of your mind that starts to unravel the reality that you like the 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 reality that you've built up for yourself. Is, is like how you should interpret it. Um, that by seeing it, first of all, it's, it's, it's broken, it's monstrosity, uh, it's, uh, it's in a place where there is no life, it doesn't make any sense. And so the, the veil that you've pulled over reality starts to slowly you know, come apart is, is kind of how uh, you, could, uh, you could interpret this. That it gives you, you know, it's like, uh, in a way it's like seeing a, a dead person, you know, mangled. It gives you kind of a a weird sense of that's wrong, that's not right. Like you know what I mean. Um, so in just to recap, in Trail of Cthulhu, there are two: there's sanity and there's stability. And stability is the thing that'll unravel you temporarily, and sanity is the thing that uh, your I think your mic might be muted. Um, uh, sanity is the one that is that's the worst one. That's the one where you're you're actually starting to, to come apart mm -hmm. for good. But stability is the one that uh, would make you go snow crazy, for instance. So okay. to speak. Got it. Like the temporary... Uh, All right. So we should just be prepared to tie each other down at night. <laughs> <laughs> that came out wrong. All right. Um, so... So you, that was disturbing. Yeah. So and we know that account that part of the whole counting is true. Can we? Uh, is it so frozen that we can can we carve out a, a piece of its flesh? Uh, so um, you actually, there's been a, there's a, a tent erected for this, um, a biology tent, uh, and more sets about um, putting together a sled, and and you all kind of help. You know, you load it on board a tarpaulin and, and put it on the sled, and then. Uh, manhaul it back to to your camp to to put it in the biology tent to take a closer look at it. Do yeah. we have any uh, like biologists hired specifically for this, or is, am I one of those people? Uh, you do have biologists. Uh, if you have biology, you're you're more than welcome to, of course, be a part of it. Um, Maybe I should partake. Um, I also have a little bit of biology, actually. 
uh, and just as a matter of record, uh, the Bell uh, leaves that morning between 6 and 7 uh, to return with more, and your aircraft, the NRV, and Weddell are uh, arriving about 3 p.m. Uh, with more cargo. Does it arrive with that drill? Yeah, uh, the drill set uh, is in three different pieces, so the first two arrive uh, today at 3 p.m. At this point, you probably got up around 7 a.m. or 6 a.m., got some breakfast and then went out and started walking around a bit, spent about an hour doing that, and then this took you an hour, two hours maybe, and then you're in the biology tent, so it's around noonish or so. Um, well, actually, I'm, I'm kind of more, like, I'm now, I'm kind of getting excited as well. I mean, this is like, this is what I do, right? I dig up stuff. Uh, so I, I want to dig up more stuff. Mm-hmm. So... I, <laughs> I suggest we just move down to tent three or spot three in that same row and see if there's more specimens, if it's the same type, mm-hmm. something more, something less. Uh, meanwhile, while you're, while you're pulling this thing uh, uh, back and so forth, uh, Moore is very excited. He's like, uh, yeah, this, is, this is it. This is one of Lake's finds. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's not a plant. This is I, not, this. I, think, I think it's a very important, I mean, the very sight of it um, induces um, mixed feelings, to say it diplomatically. Mm-hmm. I think um, maybe it would be wise to cover this uh, up, I mean, uh, to, to put sheets on it on whatever, to only have a limited number of people actually see it. If this is the cause of the snow madness, uh, maybe it makes sense to, to maybe only limit limit the sight of this to only a few of us in the expedition. Well, it's a little too late for that now since we were like 10 people standing around looking <laughs> yeah. at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Actually, but I mean, and, and, and still and the room. remaining part of the... Yeah, yeah. yeah I know, well, but... I but now we have seen it. I think it's important to limit uh, everybody else, the new arrivals in the, the camp the, and so the, forth. The rumors will just tear everybody it, apart. It'll automatically uh, happen just insofar as it'll be in the biology tent and everybody's going to be busy doing other stuff as well. So there is going to be some limited exposure to it. And second of all, I think it's, a very, I think it's very important that we bring home, uh, the entire expedition bring this home. I mean, that has to be a top priority, right? Yeah. Because that was not the case for the Miskatonic expedition that they actually brought home a specimen. So uh, I suggest they get this this monster gets your bunk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> um, so just as a matter of record as well, uh, the thing it weighs about uh, three hundred pounds. It's quite heavy. Uh, it takes a lot of people to to handle it. Uh, and it's it you know it's it's also it's got it's sloppy it's got tentacles dragging everywhere so it's it's uh and it's not frozen by the way it's it's semi rigid but it's not frozen in the way that uh, you know something frozen would at be minus frozen. twenty degree it's not frozen yeah so so the so but but there's but there's creatures well maybe at this time it hasn't been discovered but there are, there are creatures that like have natural antifreeze in their cells, right? So that because they exist in like frozen temperatures. Yeah, but at, at minus twenty, that's extreme. Nah, glycerol in the Especially after you're dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Let's warm it up. Um, and more Do you want a spoon with this? <laughs> no. More says uh, he's kinda of just says over and over again, this is real. This is real. This is not what are they hiding? Calm yourself together. You're not being scientific about it. This is the find of a century. 
Something happened here. I don't understand. Something must have happened. It's all so very wrong. Um, as the as you haul it back to the biology tent, um, you notice that it has a, a very faint but very horrible reek, um, which as it as it starts getting warmed up again, it's like it becomes almost intolerable. Um, and the biology tent has to be kept open all the time because it's. And like I the thought they smell. smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> and they do. <laughs> um, and Tom, you you can you sense that it's like more. He seems to be afraid of something. Oh shit! Uh, I'm afraid of everything now. And uh, beyond that, um, I mean, it, it should go without uh, without saying, but um, especially, Tom, you have biology. I don't know if anybody else has. To some extent, those of you with, with good outdoorsmen, uh, it, it seems pretty clear that this thing completely defies modern science uh, in, in most respects for what it is in the 1930s. Um, all right, so... Beyond that, in the afternoon, um, two of the drill parts arrive. Uh, they're dragged uphill to the old drill sites. Uh, see what else arrives. The bell, uh, Jens, if you're keeping track. Uh, Donovan, Hopewell, and Johnson arrive along with filament supplies. Um, Odul and Miles and P. Uh, no, Odul and Miles also arrive uh, from your team. I think Odul might be the guy with the face. Moore asks you uh, to stay away from the other hummocks while he performs his uh, examination of, of the thing. Um, but asks you, uh, I would really like to find Lake's tent if it's possible. I'm wondering whether we could get any indications from what's been going on here uh, from the contents of that tent, but yeah. Okay, where would the where would the expedition leader want his tent? Would he want his to be central or or the one off to the side on the right? Yeah. Or even on the left, there's also an option there. Well, I think that we can just keep going, I guess. Um, well, there's probably like a hierarchy. I mean, whoever's camp leader will probably get a better location. Oh, what the fuck? What was that? That's thunder. It's starting now. It's, uh, yeah, it's completely. It sounds like a building collapses all the time. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I mean, I would guess if you're expedition leader, you get to have like the most sort of protective. Must be some yeah. benefits. So whatever seems like the most comfortable spot, <laughs> end up. That's what I would guess. Uh, a question on the map. It says "wind sock." Is that uh, it says no. "wind sock." Wind sock. X marks the spot. Oh, and then there's sock. Yeah, it's wind sock. Wind sock. Okay, Wait, so uh, what do you what do you do? 
Well, wow. we could we could split up, and we were enough to start several digs now. Um, enough people. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean, uh, maybe uh, we can take the tent above the first one we started on. That looks interesting. Okay. Yeah, we should definitely stay focused on that grouping of them, though. I think that's yeah. Cool. If that's what we want to find, if we don't, if we are not. One, if we have enough with one specimen right now, we shouldn't dig south at least uh, on those. So, uh, and so you have about two teams now. What what else would you like to focus on? Well, personally, I would like to dig up more specimens. But uh, if it's not priority, then uh, we should uh, take the maybe the one all the way out to the right. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense also to find uh, the expedition this. leaders if he has yeah. some. Books or notes or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. We want to find this stuff. Also, it would be ideal to find it before we start digging in the dig side. Also, oh, yeah. so I think that's the priority. Okay, based on my extensive knowledge of archaeology and stuff. <laughs> um, so the first team, who would that be? Who of you? And uh, never mind the NPCs. We can. I'll be uh, I'll be digging on the 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 one up uh, above the first site. Okay. And uh, who else is going to be there? I'll dig on the other one. Yeah, I'll help uh, Mr. Professor Boncourt, Boncourt, or what's your name? Belcourt. Belcourt. Your your strange noises are, are like a nausea to me. I have to speak. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Jens, uh, where are you digging? You're with David? Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, David and Christian, you, uh, you spend about, uh, it takes you about six hours to clear out this, this spot. Um, and um, it's a tent. Uh, it seems in quite good condition as you start to clear out the, the snow and the the ice, uh, it actually starts to erect itself uh, again. Are we talking about the one on the right here now? The one on the... Are you on the right? No, no. You're I'm just left, asking right? which one, yeah. tent, which place are we talking about? Uh, this one, the one I'm moving. Okay, okay. Um, let me make it bigger. The big one. Uh, there's a one point uh, sense trouble. If you want to... Oh. Well, uh, David, you were on the the other one, right? Mm-hmm. So it will be uh, sense trouble. I don't have, but uh, uh, I have I, that. Yeah, Did I have it. Uh, yes, of course. Trail of Cthulhu, and you don't have sense trouble. What could possibly go wrong? He's a French professor. <laughs> uh, Everything. So I just make. Uh, how does it work with sense trouble? I can use a point or just a free roll or. Uh, yeah, you just spent the point. No, I spent the point. Okay, I spent yeah. the point. Yeah. Okay, as you uncover it, um, you notice that there are two small holes in the tent flap and another one near the, the apex of the tent. And as you point that out to uh, Belcour, you, Belcour you, you having been to war and so forth, those look like bullet holes. Uh, that... So, uh, was it, I did not. I didn't catch that properly. You said there were holes in the tent. Yeah, two holes in the tent flap, and one ah, one at I the see. top of the tent. Bullet holes. Uh, hmm. uh-huh. And uh, as 
as the tent, you know, it starts to kind of semi-erect. It's it's hanging a little bit, but enough that you can gain into, uh, access to it. And uh, the interior is uh, dark, and uh, the frozen floor is quite uneven. And then you notice that the floor is uh, covered with a red-black frozen uh, layer of blood. Hi. Yes. Anybody with first aid or medicine of you two? I have um, both first aid and medicine. So you estimate that there's about 10 to 12 pints of blood on the floor, um, which is about as much as a human body contains. But there's no remains of anybody, it's just blood. Uh, There's probably been buried uh, in the... Tom, give me a stability check. Oh man! You just want to get me crazy, don't you? Yeah. Fucker. Yeah. <laughs> but you know someone Two. died there. One point stability loss. Someone bled to death in this tent, and it's not a very pleasant realization. And I was just like, I'm a German. Somebody bled to death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we call that performance art. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in here, uh, it's, it's hard to investigate much of anything because everything is imbued and frozen into a mass of solid blood. Uh, there's one thing you can identify. Uh, it's an open box of rifle bullets, but there's nothing else, no rifle uh, or guns. So there's, it doesn't appear that um, the remains of the tel- tent, that there was some other um, entry point besides the obvious one. I mean... Uh, is somebody shooting into a tent or is somebody shooting out from a tent or can we in any way figure that out or well, based on where the blood is I'd imagine shooting in um, yeah but losing yeah, but it just sounds a little bit weird but is this a sli- another sleeping quarter shooting out uh, yeah it's a sleeping quarter I mean you can you can kind of make out that there is the bed rolls and stuff in here like encapsulated now in, in uh. the ice you uh, notice also the the flaps were uh, not closed but that could be, maybe they were torn open by the wind or anything. Well, to... I mean, I assume since somebody removed the body anyway, um, for it to bury it, um, even if so, yeah. Decor. But what about this uh, pile of stone? Would it be worthwhile actually? In... It's in... a burial site. I don't know if, I think we should at least keep that a very low priority to dig up. And yeah, let the, but it the, might give some rest. important clues. Um, Sure, but I think we should let the dead rest, at least for now. You're an archaeologist. Yes, but it might give some important clues. You're not reading <laughs> my lips here. Yeah, okay. Let's, that's open for discussion. It was, it was buried at a different time, right? The burial site would have been done by the second yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So they would have buried something they found. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, meanwhile, at the other... I'll switch these two out. <clears throat> so over here, um, that was uh, David and Jens, right? Yes. Magnus. This is where we find the buried spaceship. So you start removing the, the piled up snow and it quickly becomes uh, evident that um, Excuse me, this cough is going to be the death of me. 
Um, you start encountering blocks of solid ice um, that look like they've been, they were originally carved out. They're, of course, a little worn now, but um, uh, it'll take you a while to remove the, the blocks of ice. Okay. Um, and as you do so, you you start to, it takes a, a long time to remove these things. They're, they're frozen pretty solid. But um, as you do so, you, you finally start to see that underneath all of it uh, are mangled bodies of dogs. This was like a kennel. Yeah, uh, they do look like they've been piled together. Um, it almost looks like another burial uh, cairn just for the dogs instead. But yeah, but you wouldn't construct solid blocks of you wouldn't cut solid and, and stack solid blocks of ice. Like you couldn't you couldn't use a tent or your kennel because they could chew their way out. You'd have to have it be a solid wall. Yeah. yeah. If you were just burying them here, you wouldn't go through all that effort to construct walls. But I'm wondering if it's probably probably where the dogs were housed. I have a couple of uh, sense trouble uh, spends here. Oh, for the for us at the dogs. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. So you notice that there's about um, thirty-six Alaskan sled dogs here, all kind of piled together. Uh, frozen solid. Um, uh, you don't have to roll. I just need to spend. Oh, so how many points do we need to spend? Uh, well, if, one or two? if you want to spend two, you can do that. That'll give you two hits. Okay, then I'll spend two. I'll spend two. That's what I was planning. Uh, uh, okay, well, you can. Okay. Uh, so if you both spend two. So, David, you notice that several of the dogs seem to have been butchered. Uh, their limbs have been carefully skinned as if with a knife and the meat removed with great economy. Uh, all of the larger and healthier animals have been treated in this way. And about half of the dogs have uh, evident causes of death in the form of huge deep incisions thrust randomly through their heads and bodies. Uh, most of the rest don't. Uh, they seem to have died from strangulation, broken necks, or maybe even heart failure. Hmm. Uh, and Manos, you notice that um, you notice two dogs that seem to have been skinned and all of the musculature removed. One of them has lost its brain on the top of its head, and the other uh, four have uh, gaping bellies and wide open empty chests. They're all piled together. So okay, I was thinking. I was thinking maybe it was like they had to eat them. It sounds like selective parts have been removed. You also find another one, which uh, it appears to be an entire dog. It's a little hard to tell. Uh, it's in many small pieces, all separated by bones and organs. Okay. Give me a ability check. Okay. Uh. 
Oh, let me just say this. There's a cap at the stability loss throughout this whole scene of four points, so you can't lose more than four points. I already lost, lost four. Okay, so you have only had lost four, you're not going to lose more. Um, what? Then I lost five when I saw the blood. <laughs> that was my fifth one. All right, well, you suck. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I just I just realized that now. You can you can add that back. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Damn it. I'm going to get you. <laughs> yes. There's only so much craziness you can take in one day. You go numb after that. Yeah, exactly. Um, this brings you into about the night. I don't know if you have anything you want to converse about. Um, oh, no, that, if we did, I guess it would be like the 36 dogs that have been like totally butchered and split up and lying there with open bellies and chest. But you know, we have we, we have, have a suggestion of a, we have a suggestion of a murder in our tent, so all is good. Who's the biologist? On the in the on the expedition? Yeah. Are, it, it are they here with us? And if not, is it, do one of the PCs have biology skills? Yeah. Medical skills? I think Tom does. Can you examine the dog bodies and like try to determine what level of skill it would have taken to to do that kind of butchery? Like, um, are we talking someone who had medical mm. training or? Well, that should be relatively easy to see, especially considering the biology and stuff is more related to animals, I guess, uh, with my paleontology background. So, um, Michael, just one comment. Uh, Magnus, he's been on expeditions to the South Pole before with dogs, and one of the things that they do, that they did was that they would eat the dogs, right? Whenever mm. getting too slow, they would kill them and eat them. Yeah. yeah. Or they would feed them to the dogs. Um, so Magnus would have had that experience. Is that how some of these dogs were cut? Because it's, it's like the way you described it was that they were very carefully cut to get the meat. Is that is that consistent with how you would um, how you cut up a dog if you're going to eat the meat, or is it much more much more careful? Than that? Um, yeah, for for the ones uh, the ones that David would, you know got the discovery of, um, that could look like it. For sure, and then um, you know the, some of the other ones. It looks a little bit. It, it they're not cut the way that you would uh, if you were going to eat them, because you would be going just for the meat. Yeah, but, you would take the top of the brain off and leave the rest of the body. <clears throat> yeah, and the way that the the organs have been pulled out and stuff, it, it doesn't seem like what you would do uh, if you're you know if you're just gonna eat it. Uh, yeah. You wouldn't. You wouldn't go for the organs first, and leave the external meat. Canine goulash. And they're killed violently, right? You said they have gashes and. Yeah. Uh, well, if they were going crazy, the dogs, maybe they had to be put down in a less than controlled manner. Yeah, but do they really have to be gutted? Yes. <laughs> it's the only way to make sure, man. They already had, they had firearms, obviously. Uh, any bullet holes in the dogs? You didn't see any. Mm, no. You, there were gashes in the heads and the bodies of some of them. It seems like they died from huge incisions. Strangulation. From tentacles. Do, do, do. More 
is, is also around, and other people kind of stim me around, take a look at some of these things. There's a, everything is pretty, you know, the, it's a pretty um, uh, suppressed, uh, what do you call it, atmosphere at the, at the camp. Moore asks, have you, have you managed to find Lake's tent yet? Not yet. Um, let's, I think we have time to, to dig out a couple more before nightfall. He grabs a shovel and, and digs in with, with you, uh, you other guys. What else do you want to, do you want to get to? Maybe, maybe the one to the furthest right of the eight group. Uh, this one? Yeah. Eight? Yeah. That one. Up. The yeah. Bottom, up, yeah. 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 You have one more. Which one do you want to take? The one above. Uh, the one above it. All right. Because if those two were living quarters, then the, it would match with eight, uh, with twelve people. If two were living in each one for the six. First six. Well, it, ma it makes sense. You put the, the communal ones in the center, so it's this, it's an equal distant mm. exposure to everybody to get to and from them, right? To their from their quarters. So you're minimizing the travel for everybody in the in the elements. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, um. Well. So uh, who's on the topmost? Me. Who else is on the topmost? Christian and Tom. Okay. We'll keep the same teams together, I guess. Yeah. So you spent, uh, you work well into the night um, and uncover another tent. One of the door flaps has been torn off almost entirely. Um, you find two cot frames inside. And two beyond what? that, a, a bed. A cot is a bed. Um, it seems completely ransacked and damaged uh, inside. Um, the cots are upside down with padding and bedrolls missing. Um, there are numerous uh, items of light and inner clothing scattered about, but no bedrolls, coats, or heavy outerwear. You spend uh, quite a, a lot of time uh, excavating and de-icing it. Um, give me, uh, if you want to, uh, a sense trouble one point spend. I don't have it. I'll do it. You find a small brown notebook. Uh, in the wreckage, the spine is broken, the cover's twisted, all the pages are missing. But inside you find the inscription, Ex Libris George Getney, uh, visible in blurred ink on the inside cover. Uh, is that Latin or...? Yeah, Ex Libris, uh, uh, it's an ins this is what you write inscription of um, um, on books. Yeah, and who, whose notebook is it? George Getney. Of the dude who went missing. George Getney. Yeah. But all the pages were... They're all missing. Pass it to more. And your other... So meaning it's like his notebook. It's got his name. It's, it's like... Yeah, it's the inscription name. you put on books that are yours. So if, if in, it yes. used to be that you would put those in your books, you know, Ex Libris Michael Heilemann. Um, so uh, you give it to more and more, just kind of shakes his head and uh, says, poor, poor Getney. 
I want uh, to. Okay. Meanwhile, next door, at the other tent. This seems pretty obviously uh, to have been the food storage tent. It's called a larder. Uh, the canvas structure is unharmed, but inside um, the wooden packing cases have been torn apart into just kindling. Uh, sacks of flour and sugar have been slashed open and emptied. Canisters of cooking oil and lard have been twisted apart and their contents mixed into the drifts of flour and, uh, to form a gelid mass along the base of one wall. Uh, a number of beef and pemmican tins uh, now lie in the center of the tent, punctured, torn, squashed, and crimped and slashed. Give me uh, one point sense trouble. Uh, spend if you want. Yes. I have it. I can spend it. All right. Either of you? It seems like the tins would have been opened by someone who has no idea of what a tin can is or how it's used. Uh, All yeah. right. There's no sign of any cuts, uh, of any of the cuts of fresh or dried meat that might have been expected here. No salt uh, is in evidence anywhere. A large number of matchboxes were emptied all over the floor, but there are no matches left in the tent at all. And the plot thickens. It's around night. Uh, you spend most of the day, you know, 12 hours working hard, so it's probably more or less time to return to camp and, and get some food and, and compare notes and whatnot. So more uh, goes off to um, after you've all compared notes, and uh, I don't know, how, how, do you, how are you reacting to this? What, are your, what kind of comments, you know, would you, would you be slinging about? Well, um... Their end obviously appears to be far more than just natural, a natural disaster from exposure or you know a fire or something going wrong from circumstances beyond their control. There's obviously violence that went on. That's very really disturbing. So, <clears throat> yeah, Magnus, he would if he had a lot of schnapps, he would start drinking around this time because. Uh, it's that thing. It's that thing with stability. You know, you have like, oh, actually, the pillars of sanity. Maybe that's what it would be. But these sort of fundamental beliefs of whether or not there are quote-unquote monsters, about what could exist and not exist, and we're sort of like in this territory now where things that are not supposed to be real are happening. Uh, so he's losing. That night, um, more makes another transition or a transmission back to. Uh, to the base camp. Uh, earlier that day, uh, Starkweather transmitted that he was going to climb Mount Nansen and uh, um, that he would return or he would arrive at the lake's camp uh, in a couple of days uh, at that. So at night, um, uh, Moore um, transmits back to the world. Uh, and he, he says, um, you should all know that we have found some of the unusual specimens discovered by the late Professor Lake. They're quite remarkable, even in their deteriorated condition. As none of us here are fully qualified to evaluate the specimens, a more detailed report will have to wait until morning when Professor Bryce and Dr. Green can take a look at them. But it's good news for everyone, however, unless I miss my guess, these specimens are every bit as sensational as we'd hoped. Uh, more out, and then he, he hangs up. And after that, uh, Lexington goes on the radio. Um... 
There's a spot, uh, there's a sense trouble uh, point spend available for anyone who wants to do so. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it if nobody else wants. All right. How many, how many sense trouble points do people have? Eight. <laughs> I have eight. Oh my god. No, sorry, sorry, Tom. Ten. <laughs> he knows what's up. The transmissions usually they take a few minutes. They're usually done about 10 p.m. and then the radio is silenced and the generator is shut down. Um, that night, you—it's the 28th—at uh, about 11 p.m. You notice uh, you're probably in your tent, uh, reading and playing with your pendulum, and you notice the generator is still on. Is it not supposed to be on? No, I mean not unless somebody's using the radio. What do you mean the radio is still on? Means somebody, are, we are we transmitting something or? Somebody is transmitting something would be the implication. Uh, okay, let's go to the radio tent and see what's going on. Who do you share your tent with? Mr. Professor Balcour. Yeah, we spoon. All right. <laughs> you A know, for buddy, but to keep the body heat and, uh -huh. and, and stuff. Uh -huh. you know? No, I get it. You don't have to. Uh... We have a Manchino line between us, but nevertheless. Okay, we'll uh, we'll head over. Okay, um, the two of you. you so uh, you see that um, the radio tent. There's light coming from it, um, and um, you see Priestley standing outside, uh, kind of. Standing about nonchalantly. Mm -hmm. oh, no, I was just saying, oh, I just need to get my notebook. I go in. Uh, he's, uh, oh, please, uh, can you wait just a minute? Uh, Miss Lexington is still transmitting. I don't think she wants to be disturbed. All right, is he uh, sending home a novel? Uh, I, I don't know uh, what, she's, what she's transmitting. Can we, can we, it's like, it's a tent. Can we hear them through the tent wall? No, you can just hear a muffled, a muffled voice. You'd have to, like, go right up to it and, and actively listen, which would look a little... A little well, not a, if I'm on the back side of it. Well, he can see you. Nudge, nudge. Anymore. It's not that big a tent. <laughs> can we make some sort of... Uh, it's a skill for making some sort of persuasive argument for him to let us in, or...? Well, he doesn't really have super authority over us, does he? You can just walk in if you want to. You could. It would be. It would be rude, though. It's not. It's not. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We'll let. We'll let the. We'll let the lady talk. Um, we'll just. Uh, just mention it to more in the morning that uh, Lexington was on the, the radio all night. There's a two point. Um, that's probably sense trouble as well, because there's no. <laughs> but of course. God damn it! But I have the points, either. I have them. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> two points uh, sense trouble if you want to spend it. I'm I'm doing it, Heine. I'm taking two more. All right. I I sense some trouble here. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, you can just make out uh, that, and and maybe it's because strangely she's speaking in German, and you can just make out that she's she's uh, saying. Let me repeat my offer. I can get you there safely. Uh, your own equipment uh, will not permit such a flight. It's a reasonable bargain. You have the tanks, I have the equipment, I have the superior aircraft. What do you have to lose? 
And then you can hear oh, Do so then, if you please. I'm tired of waiting at the mercy of others. And then you can hear her turn off the the radio. Um Thanks. I'm not sure. Finally, this is going somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I have the tanks, and I didn't catch half of that. Uh, did you get that, Tom? I didn't have the sense trouble skill. Yeah, you're the only one. And you're German, so I don't speak German. Clearly, she's playing some sort of double game. Next thing, she comes out of the tent, and she. When she sees you, she's, she's just like this, like, well, good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Uh, Any late radio transmissions to be sent off? Uh, we had some final conversations with the base camp, just making sure everything was all right. And she shuts down the generator with Priestley, and they, they turn to walk back to their camp, which is just north of, or actually, let me bring back the, the map here, just so you see where the map is. Uh, and they, they start walking off towards their, their camp, kind of conversing in low tones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so who is uh, Lexington uh, bunking with? Oh, is, or does she have uh, her own tent? Being, being a lady of high moral standards and all this. Well, I plan to swap you out with her at some point, but uh... it would just be interesting to. So, if you look at it in a dress, uh, everybody, while we're uh, doing this, give me a first aid uh, test for frostbite. Ah, come on, Highland. We go to the South Pole, and you demand these kind of things. Um, and I should say frostbite, uh, the way it works is there's varying degrees and if you fail multiples uh, you go up in degrees and it's going to be bad and you're going to have a, uh, the first degree frostbite will give you a one uh, increase difficulty on all tests. Mm. And so basically you want to you wanna succeed in the first one, is that what you're saying? Uh, you don't want to incur a lot of frostbite and the, the way you can uh, on a... Um, like on the first degree frostbite, the way you can heal it is by spending one day uh, in warmth, so you can't work for an entire day. Good luck with that. Is that good enough? Yes, yes, it is. I think I'll spend. I think I'll spend one point. Yeah, there's so much lead in those fucking dices. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, there is. <laughs> All right, so that's. But I spent one point. What about you, David? Did you roll? You spent. Whoa. Did you spend eight health? No, I used first. No, eight I, I typed points. it in. I spent one. <laughs> I spent one, but I typed eight by mistake. <laughs> we agree. I, I used the first eight points on this, right? Not health. Oh, sorry. I, I'm sorry. I meant first aid. Yeah, obviously. Is um, my mic still buzzing? A little bit, but not as bad. It's not as bad. Uh, okay, so that means that if you only spend one, David, you are on three. That gives you a first degree frostbite. 
So uh, I rolled a six, but I was right. No, I spent two. Okay, I got it. I rolled a two, so I got a three. Yes. Yeah. So you're uh, going to be increased uh, one difficulty level on all uh, tests unless you spend a day in inside the the tents. Um, okay. Next day. Uh, the camp has been built out, the, the wall has been erected and so forth. It's taken a couple of days to get everything done, but now it's pretty much complete. Um, uh, maybe we, we'll just um, mention to more that uh, Lexington was on the radio all night. Oh, he says. That's odd. I wonder what she was talking about. Uh, speaking in German and uh, clearly having some uh, agenda of her own. That's so. In German. Yeah, I don't know any uh, German members of her expeditions. I would have picked it up by the accent. Yeah. But uh, that's very odd. Yeah, remember, there's a there's another there's a German uh, expedition. Yeah, there is the Bosmaya Falcon expedition. Yeah. But they're on the other side of the continent. Uh, uh, but maybe you should say what she said in German, uh, which I cannot repeat. Uh, but I think uh, it appeared to me that she was striking a deal with uh, with these members. Uh, something about tanks and uh, tanks. Well, she probably means oxygen tanks. Yeah. Damn it! It sounded like her. It sounded to me like she would bring them something from our expedition, and and uh, and she would get something in return. So it's like a. Uh, and a deal of some sort. Hmm. So, and the only so the only reason for the oxygen tanks are to go to a high altitude. So maybe she intends to explore the mountains. Yeah. Did she did she lose her oxygen supply in her in the disaster? Uh, yeah, I think so. They lost a lot of a lot of things. Um, but they have some of ours though. Why would she be negotiating with them instead of us? I don't know. We're supposed to be working together. Well, we should get started. Okay, so today we're going to get the third and last part of the drill, right? Yes, we are. It's going to arrive in the afternoon at about 3 p.m. I say we drill out one of the more of the, of the hummocks. Okay. And Yay! We, Drill out the access to the cave. Uh, we're going to need the, the drill to that. Yeah. When it arrives in the afternoon, the, the drilling crew is arriving with the planes. They're going to assemble it around the, the, the existing uh, excavation uh, spot. And then we'll drill in there. So I suggest that we drill out or we uh, excavate one of the hummocks and maybe one more of the tents. Uh, I don't know what you say. Um, uh, yeah. All right, let's get to it. Who oversees the hummock? Who goes to the tents? I do the hummock. What, what, what is that? Is key points notes? The hummocks is mark. the line and the yeah, tents yeah, yeah. are the. I, I'll be on the hummocks. Hammocks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who else is uh, on the hummock? Uh, could it, is it possible that one could investigate the specimen in the biology tent some more? Sure. Uh, there's a uh, I want to dig up a new specimen. Uh, I have a biology, actually, so... Uh, 
obviously not a skilled biologist, but uh, read through the first year curriculum at the university. Mm-hmm. I want to dig up more so we have some more comparisons. All right, who is on uh, who's on the tent, and which tent are you on? I'm on the biology tent. I yep. don't know where. Yeah. And who's on the hammock? Jens David. Me. I'm on the. Yeah. I'm doing tents, not the hammock. Okay. And Jens. Yeah, I'm with David. Okay. All right. I'm all alone. Okay, let's take the hummock first. So, the westernmost hummock, uh, very low and broad. This one is um, a little taller than than the other ones, uh, rising about three feet from the ice. And as you start digging in the center of the mound, um, you unveil a small, dark, solid object resting uh, in the snow about two feet above ground. And as you expose it, you uncover this. What the hell? You'll notice that this is from the Starkweather Moor Expedition of 1933. And it's like a star-shaped stone, green, uh, about this size. This is how big I it assume is. I only find the starfish, not the encasing. Uh, no, the encasing is there as well. Because <laughs> that would be like, what? <laughs> it's a medieval throwing star. Yes, uh. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and as you can see, it, uh, this is about as close as I can get it. Okay. I break that, the glass. That's what it looks like. Okay. okay. Does it look like a metal? It's a kind of soapstone. Um, it's about four inches across, less than an inch thick in the middle. Uh, it's well polished and has a large number of very small, stipled, dot-like depressions um, in the convex surface of the center. <clears throat> Which the recording well. mentioned that. <clears throat> and uh, underneath it, you find... Um, you know, another uh, damage. The, cr the body of it seems, as you pull it out and lie it flat on the ice, it seems to be crudely dissected. Um, there's a one-point uh, sense trouble spend here if you want it. This was probably the, uh, the creature that the Miskatonic University uh, expedition uh, spoke about as an imperfect specimen uh, that was dissected by Lake. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like a lid. It's, it's similar to the specimen we found. It's like a living thing, or, or it was a living thing. Uh, presumably, it looks like it would have been some sort of living thing. But now uh, it's petrified, or, or it's not petrified. Fossilized. It's it's no. just dead. It's just dead. But it's made of stone. No. Nope. It's soft. Okay. It's not even frozen. It is uh, at best. Uh, semi-rigid, but um, you know, not not soft to the touch, but flexible. Mm -hmm. This is why we lost all the points yesterday. <laughs> Does it smell? Yes, it smells yes. like motherfuckers. It has a really 
nasty odor. It's faint, but uh, as they warm up um, above ground, they, they start to smell more and more. So that's that. And then meanwhile, um, and as it gets pulled out, uh, it gets uh, hauled back to the biology tent uh, on one of the sleds. Meanwhile, the tent, um, into the afternoon, it's uncovered and um, the tent seems ransacked. It's a total mess, but the interior is dry. There's a lot of spare clothing thrown around. There's a meerschaum pipe uh, on the floor, uh, shattered and crushed as if by a very heavy weight. A number of loose shotgun shells and some rifle bullets are scattered across the floor by a single, uh, by the single cot. There's just one cot in here. There are no fired or ejected cartridges and no sign of blood. There's one pair of rubber, rubber overboots that have been torn nearly in half. A small, delicately carved wooden pipe box is in the uh, small bits beneath the cot and uh, behind uh, the bedroll. The name PC Lake. It's engraved on a small brass plate attached to one of the bits. And when Moore sees this, he, you can see him kind of sink and he was hoping for some answers in, in Lake's tent, but doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to find any. Uh, meanwhile, at the biology tent, let me just get these out of the way. So you spent some time uh, at the biology tent. The other um, thing is brought back to the biology tent as well, and you can see that it's been dissected somewhat. So one obvious connection here, right, is that the star was far, it has, the star-shaped figure had five, points right mm -hmm. and the other creature was also like a five symmetry yep. thinginess and it, it appeared to me that the top of the other creature could, could that resemble this starfish is is that part of the other creature is that as a way to determine that or is it clearly two distinct species uh say again are you talking about the two specimens yes they I'm, a, I'm, I'm asking if if the star jellyfish like whatever it was does that resemble the top of the other creature? Are you talking about this thing? Yes. Uh, oh, this, this is a limestone thing, right? This is stone. Yeah, this, this looks like it was made. It doesn't look like it is a petrified, uh, you know, anything. It, at least that's not your impression of it. This looks like it was, it's, a, it's a constructed thing. Uh, now I'm very confused. I thought we were talking, they found something in the tent that was some sort of creature. They found, so in the hummocks, they found two creatures, each of them uh, a distinct individual. Above one of them, they found this stone. Okay. Okay. But they're the same type as the, one, as the specimen we the, found. The specimens are the same, yeah, types of thing. Okay. Uh, so the stone-shaped uh, thing is, is not... It's not a creature. It is a stone, a fossilized something. It looks like it. It looks like it's yeah. a, so, a, an actual I stone. remember from the radio broadcast, it mentioned they found a stone like that, but I don't recall. I don't remember where they found it. 
But clearly they're connected, right? Because there's this five symmetry going through both the object and the creatures. Yeah, they found it in uh, digging. Okay, so we're probably where the excavator is gonna. Yeah. You spend some time in the biology tent with these things. Um, I mean, you don't get much more beyond what you already have in the sense that um, they they obviously have eyes and they seem to have mouths as well uh, on what would seem to be their heads, these five-starred uh, things, and at the end they have eyes. Um, they also have these small uh, cilia, which is essentially... Um, uh, Give me a one-point biology spend. Yep. So cilia are uh, ways, it's like a, another way of, um, uh, what do you call it? I was going to use a computer term, input method. <laughs> uh, it's a sensor, a sensory, uh, a, a biology, a bi biological sensory device, so to speak, uh, <laughs> that you would find on animals. You know, uh, and they, they obviously have them as well on their heads which gives you some sense that they would have more than just, you know, pure visual sight, as yeah. we know it. Yeah. Um, it does it detect yeah. like temperature, air movement. Yeah, something like that. It, it, it's, yeah. it's hard to say exactly what it would be. Um, but um, you also examine the mouth, and the teeth look sharp enough that, first of all, the notion that they're plants seems ludicrous if it weren't for the fact that some of the tissue almost has plant-like qualities, but the the teeth suggest that they're predators. Yeah. More than more than anything else. We should we should try to figure out what would be a weak weak point if we ever come across one of these live ones. These alive. But now we have three of them, right? You have two. two. The two. Uh, is it okay for us to open up one of them, dissect them, and see? Well, uh, one is already dissected. Yeah, you just have the one that that seems like crudely dissected uh, that you pulled yeah. out of the ground today. So, so I guess I can uh, open that up even more, and, and mm -hmm. seems to if I can find a a nerve system or or circulating blood system or something along those lines that would indicate. And one more point: uh, the wings, from a biological point of view, point of view, do they look sufficient to to Offer them the possibility of flight, uh, are we, or because I got this aquatic feeling of them, but um, it's possible. They have five wings, uh, one in each, you know, repeated sector around the the, the creature. Um, they seem a little small, but um, it's hard to say. And the thing is obviously heavy; it weighs three hundred pounds, so. It's it's, uh, it's your guess. They could also be meant for aquatic movement. Uh, um, beyond that, the skin is tough as leather. Um, it's astonishingly flexible, though, um, <clears throat> at least in, in places. These two specimens that you have, they seem quite damaged. Um, they might have been dead for, for some time. It's hard to say, though, because the the material doesn't seem like anything that you're you're quite used to um uh, what about the musculature and the mus muscles around the wing sections does that indicate that uh, 
that they fly? I'll read out loud uh, this description of it. The wings seem to be membranous, stretched out on framework of glandular tubing. Apparent minute orifices in frame tubing at wingtips. That's, that's about what I have for you. So there's openings at the end of the wings. Yeah, there's like glandular uh, minute orifices uh, as, it was, as it was put. Okay. Um, they're about um, eight feet tall. Um, the torso itself, which is this kind of tubular thing that uh, um, tapers off at the, at the two ends. Uh, it's about six foot, about three and a half uh, feet in central diameter, one foot at the ends. It's dark gray and flexible, um, and it's very tough. As you, as you try to dissect it, it's, it's almost impossible to, to cut into. Um, the wings are about seven foot. They're the same color as the torso. Uh, and you can see that they can be folded in uh, between the furrows and the ridges of, of the body. Um, mm -hmm. The spread wings, they have a serrated edge. Um, and then beyond that, around the equator of the, the thing, uh, there's the central apex uh, at each of them with these like five um, systems of uh, in increasingly forking uh, tentacles. Uh, they have, uh, they're expanding to about three feet, the tentacles do. Is it possible to dissect the stomach to see what it has eaten? Uh, if you could identify the stomach, sure. Can I open the animal and <laughs> find the organs within? It already is open. Um, Can I identify any organs that looks like something I would recognize? Sure, let me go down the, this, this description. It's quite detailed. Um, the top of the torso, uh, I'll just, I'm just going to go through the description here because there's, there's a lot and, and you spent quite a, lot, a while doing this. So, Top of the torso, it's a blunt, bulbous neck of lighter gray with gill-like suggestions that holds a yellowish five-pointed starfish-shaped uh, head of sorts. The, the cilia that I was talking before have a, almost a prismatic color. They're three inches uh, wiry little things sticking out on, across the head. It's thick and puffy, about two feet point to point. Uh, with three-inch flexible yellowish tubes projecting from each point. And um, slit into the exact center of the top, there's a, what looks like a breathing aperture. On, uh, wait a minute. Uh, one moment. At the top, near its mouth, there's a breathing aperture. So at the top of the head, at the exact center, there's what looks like a, a kind of an orifice for breathing. So not gill-like uh, arrangement. So it doesn't look aquatic. It also has a gill-like. Uh, so let me see. That's that's in here somewhere. Um, it's, I saw. Just just go ahead, highlight. Mm -hmm. Speed up, please. Uh, at the end of each tube, there's a spherical expansion where a yellowish membrane rolls back um, as you handle it to reveal kind of a glassy red Irish globe. Uh, you would have guessed that it's an eye. Uh, there's five slightly longer reddish tubes that start from inner angles of the starfish head shaped and end in sac-like uh, swellings of the same color, which, uh, as you press upon it, um, show bell-shaped orifices, two inches maximum diameter, lined with sharp white tooth-like projections, look like mouths. Uh, at the bottom of the torso, you find rough but... Um, 
kind of dissimilar from the head, but nevertheless extending in, in the same shape, uh, star-shaped like uh, configuration. Bulbous light gray um, pseudo neck with gill uh, suggestions. Um, let's see. The arms, I'm sorry, I said they were three feet, I meant four feet long. At the end of each of the, the tentacle, uh, the, the, the uh, bottom tentacles, which I will refer to as feet, you see each of them have uh, these triangular, um, uh, what do you call it, markings uh, along them. And that's about what I have for you here. <laughs> it would be interesting to see if they have a big brain somewhere. Yeah, as you open it up and, and you start going through the um, the inner organs, it's it doesn't correspond to anything that you're familiar with. It's all repeated in in fives around its its center. Um, it's incredibly tough to cut into, almost impossible. Um, the the organs don't seem to reveal much about what exactly, what would be the stomach. Uh, the various kinds of uh, very thick liquid flow out of some of them. Um, it would take a, a while for you to kind of properly catalog and, and try to figure out what, what, what is what and, and how this thing would have, would have functioned. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's quite alien to you. That's just my personal opinion, and we can discuss it uh, with the other expedition members. But I think it's worthwhile that at least one of us uh, use some time to to try to figure out what this is. Yeah, for sure. Oh, we should have uh, everybody with some biology experience and medical experience work on this. So I but guess I'll just stick to it. Uh, of course, if, if people want to swap or... Instead of uh, I, I definitely want to have a look too, but I want to dig up one more. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll just keep uh, trying to figure out as much as I can of this mm -hmm. creature by dissecting it. Mm -hmm. So at about, um, you spend most of the day doing this. At about supper time, the drill crew uh, have assembled the Peabody drill and raced it uh, into place over the, over the drill site. And uh, they begin drilling uh, immediately and, and continue throughout the night. What is the drill site? The drill site, it's up to the southwest of the oh, camp. By and the it's, cave. Yeah, it's by the cave. Um, so you spend the day in the tent. Uh, Bryce is uh, helping you with the dissection. And as you all assemble for, for dinner that night, um, he, you, know, you both kind of uh, lay out this idea that uh, the, the thing doesn't have any traditional taxon taxonomy that you're aware of. There's no bony skeleton. Um, it seems it seems like a, a completely different offshoot on uh, you know what you would consider the traditional um, evolutionary ladder. And um, if anything, the the only things you could say is that um, they weren't plants. Uh, you know, they weren't sessile, the passive things that uh, they were given off as in the previous expeditions recordings. Uh, but that they acquire, uh, appear in every way equipped as predators, um, probably at home in the sea, maybe a shallow, uh, uh, in the ocean, sorry, or maybe a shallow sea. Um, that evening, the report is passed along on the radio. 
um, along with the news that the cave is going to be opened again uh, once more. And um, Moore doesn't mention any of the more grisly details that you uncovered in the tents uh, or the dogs. Um, he he keeps that to himself, and uh, as um, as Lexington is about to take over the the radio, uh, you hear him uh, telling her, um, "Please don't speak about the camp. We don't know enough yet, and you've seen the evidence. You have eyes yourself. This wasn't weather. They didn't get killed by a storm. I don't want to ruin the wrong reputations, but." I'm asking you to please remain quiet for now until we know more. And Lexington, she seems to measure him a little bit and then says, I'll help. Uh, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Would it be possible to uh, have another smaller handheld radio to eavesdrop on the radio signal from the main tent? It would indeed. <laughs> Good idea. So, so I was thinking if that's possible, I would sit down with uh, my German, German friend while we cuddle up spooning a little bit and mm -hmm. listen to uh, listen to this... Uh, to the police radio. <laughs> yes, the <laughs> scanner. Uh, just, you know, just a little idea. Uh, you unpack one of the trail radios um, and um, um, try to turn it on and it doesn't work. How convenient. I'm looking the game master right in the eyes. <laughs> and you, uh, you think back... Oh, four sessions or so. And remember that, that's right, nobody turned on these radios when we were going through the manifest to make sure that they worked. Uh, I'll spend a preparedness point. <laughs> <laughs> you can do There's a, a radio in the airplane. There is a radio in the airplane as well. You can okay, also do a preparedness well. check if you want to, uh, to, to ensure that you have another trail radio that actually is working. Do it. Uh, just one sec. So that would be a dialogue. It would be handy to have a working radio. It would be. Uh, I'll spend one point of, for sure. Okay, uh, you don't have to spend a point. You you roll and then spend however many points you want and against the difficulty level that I'm not going to Ah, play. okay. Uh, I think I'll use two points and roll on top of that. Okay, yeah, let's get lucky. Sit at nine again. Yeah, let's see. If you roll a... Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, that's good. Enough. All right. So as it happens, uh, you um, you've actually brought your own equipment, your own trail radio. Because you don't trust nobody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's going to bring my own equipment. <laughs> okay. What's happening in Paris, Tom? Uh, it's nothing. Right. You should have been here on Friday night. Oh my God! It was just like yeah. constant sirens all night long. Just keep like it was. Crazy. And I live next to a fire station, and so I'm used to sirens. But this was just too much. Everybody I was trying to have a phone conversation, and I almost couldn't. Jeez. Uh, everybody, give me a first aid check for frostbite. Uh, remember, David, your uh, your difficulty is one more than everybody else. Should I? I guess I should probably. Do I have the ability to stay indoors? And you could spend the day in a tent. Probably should, because you don't want me to get worse and uh, not. Does that include me, who's working in the biology tent? Uh, no, it does not. 
Good point. Well, I will roll a four. Is that enough? Yeah, that's enough. You all make it. Uh, David, did you uh, roll? Oh, I was going to spend the day in the inside. During well, this the is this is for the previous day, so you already spent it outside. So you can spend the next day. That's going to be November thirty. You can spend that in the in the tent. But I really wasn't doing anything this day, right? Just it would have been just more digging. Yeah, which I probably wouldn't want to do if I had frostbite. We were just so eager. Yeah. Scientific discovery. Yeah, it's worth a few fingers. <laughs> Six. Oh, that is a second degree frostbite, David. Okay. Game over, man. See, I don't trust roll twenty. I'm gonna start rolling. It's, it's rolled nothing but ones and twos for like. Six rolls. <laughs> Go analog like me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, with lead dice. <laughs> All right, so um, you're considered hurt. You go to zero hit points. You can't spend points on investigative abilities, and you have your... Look at this. <laughs> oh, there you go. You broke the spell. See, now you used it up. Uh, you spend uh, all of your difficulties uh, increased by one, um, which is not cumulative with the previous one, so it's just by one. Um, and you have to spend at least three days of rest and medical attention to recover. Ah. And if you were to expose yourself to cold things, it's just going to be made worse. No ice cream for you, sir. See, I don't, I don't trust Roll20. This this randomizer has issues. <laughs> yeah, it's random. <laughs> All right, so um, you get like somebody notices. Uh, it's probably you, Maunus. Uh, you notice uh, David uh, has severe second degree uh, frostbite um, signs that night as you all gather around for dinner. Um, and you you start to feel pretty bad as well. Your fingers are you know uh, starting to to hurt, and uh, you have you, you're starting to see dead skin on your nose. You're starting to like you know the, the skin becomes pale and white. And please stop rolling because all I hear is whoop whoop. Is this Bill or is this? Uh, is Bill? Is oh, you you see it. You notice it. Will, this is uh, very serious. I think you must go rest immediately and have uh, medical attention. Okay. I've seen this before. This, uh, this story does not end well. Unless you take it very seriously. I will heed your advice. Three days. Three days. I warned you. you didn't really, I mean, you always warn us. And then we don't know... <laughs> This is like a real one. This is a yet another. One. What do you mean? I always warn you, and then nothing happens. Like when you were at seasick, you were like you were almost dying, falling overboard. I, I'm warning you, but no, nobody pays attention to the game master. No. Well, now you've learned. They said uh, I was uh, mad at the academy. What have we learned again? Well, I'll <laughs> show them. I'll show them all. Uh, uh, actually, how do you get like? Uh, let's say at this point, it's like, okay, so now I don't. Uh, do you recover general points from day to day? Uh, you recover uh, as you rest. You can recover. Um, so, hold on. I feel like it's around. Because, I mean, 
since now we've spent a few days here and uh, will we have recovered any of the ones we spent in the beginning of the game already? So, um, you can only refresh investigative points at the end of um, Sessions. A, section, yeah. a section of the adventure. Uh, the general abilities, uh, if you rest um, for like an hour, for instance, um, like a temporary haven, so to speak, which is sort of like if you go to bed, for instance, um, you can refresh up to three general abilities except for health, sanity, and stability. Okay. So so theoretically, I, could, I would have regained the first eight points I used yesterday. Uh, yes. Every time you rest, you can you can refresh three general abilities. Um, and then if you get to fully refresh for 24 hours, then it's a little bit more than that. But other mm -hmm. than that, that's how it works. And then uh, health pool refreshes over time at a rate of two points per day of restful activity. Okay. Well, anyway, we were supposed to be uh, sneak uh, peeking, uh, sneak eavesdropping, I think it's called, uh, yeah. on the radio call from... Um, so you listen to Lexington's radio call. Uh, she calls back to the camp and relays essentially the same information that mm -hmm. has relayed. Uh, and then she rings off for the night. Okay. You notice that the, the generator stops, you know, as mm -hmm. the, after the okay. transmission's ended. So it seems like she's... Okay. Okay. We'll keep an eye on her for a while. Mm -hmm. yes. Maybe we'll just oh, yeah. check in every night uh, on that. Okay. Um, she's on our radar. Hi. Mm -hmm. That's what we're saying now. All right. I have nothing further to add to this day except that I'm ready for spooning. Is there any way we can help our pilot to recover? Um, I suggest spooning. That'll do it. Group spoon. No, I mean, he just needs medical attention, so the... Mm. Prof but Dr. who's giving him medical Dr. attention? Dr. Green is, uh, is at the camp and... Uh, okay. Giving, he arrived... No, actually, sorry, Dr. Green is arriving in the morning. Or in the afternoon, sorry, the next day. Uh, okay. and he, well, I have medicine and I have first aid. Yeah. So, if there's nobody else qualified, I'll do my best. Give me a one-point spend uh, to, to start For his, his... medicine? Recovery. Yep. Uh, right. If you give me that one point spend, I'll shave a day off of the, the three days to make it two days. Which means you will be ready for action again on December 2nd. Um, Perfect. You stay home for like December 1st. You can decorate your tent a little bit with some elves. <laughs> or maybe... Nice. Watch, watch the Disney show. Uh, maybe we can... Uh, David, maybe we can use William and... Uh, in the biology tent. No, he needs rest. His his yeah, extremities no, no. are like uh, affected, okay. and, and yeah, we can't have him losing fingers in the cadavers and stuff. It's exactly. gonna be a mess. These things have fingers for organs. Yeah. <laughs> no way. This. <laughs> Wait, I'm missing a finger. <laughs> oh, that's mine. Sorry. <laughs> in the morning on November thirtieth, uh, the clouds thicken further uh, from the last day. Visibility is still good at the camp, but the temperature drops to uh, minus uh, 21 degrees uh, Celsius, which is minus 5 uh, Fahrenheit. Um, for once, the wind actually dies uh, all but away. At about 4 a.m. in the morning, you're all woken up. Uh, you can hear some uh, people starting to, to talk outside and, and excitement uh, uh, occurs. 
and um, you gather that the drill crew has broken through into Lake's Cave at about 4 a.m. What do you do? You keep you keep sleeping, or you want to get out, or no? Nah, it's time to get up. Does this count as a night rest? Yeah, let's do. You you slept early. It's been a long couple mm -hmm. of days. So you can refresh uh, three general abilities. Um, let's see. For me, it's just first aid. Okay. Three abilities. Yeah. So you, you all get dressed, and uh, you know, given it's the Antarctic night, it's not like the sun is still up, so it's still light outside. And you make your way up uh, through the camp up to the the dig site, which is a little further away. <clears throat> you see the drill. Which has been assembled across. Did I share with you ever? By the way, I have a. I just take a pelican sandwich for breakfast and then I'm off. Lol. <laughs> Did I ever share this with you? I don't know. Do you ever share anything? I actually happen to have schematics for the drill. Here. Oh, nice. It doesn't mean anything. I just happen to have it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks very uh, low tech. Yeah, it's a 1930s uh, Antarctic drill set. So, uh, but it gives you some idea of like it's a big, you know, derrick that you you assemble and you rise it up and then you like drill into the ice and so forth. So, it's a lot of work um, and it's an in, uh, ingenious little piece of equipment or not a little. Okay. Um, subsequent uh, bores and some cautious work with. Dynamite and electric melters opens a man-sized passage uh, by breakfast, and everybody gathers around um, for for the hole. And uh, Priestley, who's been filming uh, everything as he's gone along, um, you know, also gathers around and, and begins to to film the the opening of the the, the dig site. So I'm just gonna say something. So if these creatures. They're like we should prepare for actually being able to meet some of these things alive. What makes you say that? Well, because these are not petrified fossils. Uh, give me a one point spend uh, sense trouble if you feel like it. Well, I don't have it. Oh. <laughs> God damn it! In that case, uh, as you say that out loud, if anybody else wants to spend uh, two points oh. of sense trouble. Tom, can you just explain that again? What was your idea? Just saying, since these uh, creatures were not fossils, they were cadavers, there's a, there's a chance, there seems to be a logical chance that these would exist alive somewhere, and no. that could potentially be inside the cave. Christian, did you want to spend two points? Yeah, yeah, it didn't. It also makes sense since I have uh, looked at these creatures for a day or, or so. Mm -hmm. um, if you recall the radio transmission, uh, they announced that they found how many specimens? Uh, I think, was it 14 in total? Yeah. Or something along those lines? That's right. Oh, it was that many. Fourteen. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Yeah, 
It means that we have found three of them as far as I can, or two at least, yeah. And uh, so... How many would you yeah. expect to find here? None. Oh. <laughs> More than there are. They, they count the mounds. Well, actually, yeah, yeah. Every mound. That doesn't account for them all. And obviously there are some violent deaths with blood strewn about and dogs ripped apart. Yeah, I suggest uh, anyone venturing in, we at least bring some guns. Yeah. Very horrifying. Dr. Eidmeier, can you... And some flares and fire and stuff like that. Uh, what did you say, my sweet Norwegian friend? Can you check the, the pendulum before we go in? I think I would yep. look better if your pendulum thinks things are okay. <laughs> yes, I believe I believe <laughs> I, I try the pendulum. It's in his mind. Uh, are, are you getting snow crazy? <laughs> <laughs> what says the pendulum? Well, as far as I can see, the pendulum, does it react near the entrance to the cave? Uh, it seems to swing not quite in rhythmic swings. Mm -hmm. Seems like it might be affected by some unseen <laughs> force. <laughs> nice cat sense. <laughs> what says the pendulum? The, my interpretation of the pendulum is that it's not exactly safe to venture down into these caves, yeah? <laughs> it would be wise to heed Professor Balcor's advice to, to bring along dynamite and weapons and all this other <laughs> Alright, who, who wants to go first? Not me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am... Um, I uh, right back. I just gotta get something. Take my rifle and uh, my uh, flashlight, helmet flashlight, and uh, go forward. Uh, and my ice, my ice picky boots. Lexington uh, standing by. She's. What are you bringing the rifle for? What do you expect to find? Well, nice. more shit with tentacles, lady. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just uh, bring this thing for uh, safety. And uh, I pack a few flares as well. You can always make a radio transmission about it later. Yeah. And uh, let's uh, keep some rope between us. So we tie a quick rope between... Uh, <laughs> between <laughs> You're going in Dungeons and Dragons mode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> always bring rope and tie the party together. <laughs> well, you don't know. You don't know. You have no idea what we're going into here. All right. Yeah, that, it nice makes sense in an ice cave to, to, yeah, exactly. to bind yourself together. If yeah, and I'm yeah, putting yeah. on uh, spikes on my shoes uh, to make sure I don't slip. I'm not completely retarded. <laughs> even though I might seem like it sometimes. Spikes on shoes versus tentacle people. We'll be fine. Yeah. Um, since you're very cautious... Um, God, you don't have sense of trouble. You fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a one-point archaeology spend. You're not very cautious. <laughs> uh, okay, um, I'll do that. As you're prepping and you're you're standing around um, the dig site, uh, getting ready and, and and seeing them kind of make the the whole 
big enough for you to, to enter. You notice that around the, the hole, there's um, faint traces of what's best described as like triangular prints kind of um, stipled where you also see, you know, uh, frozen over uh, footprints from people. Well, so you're saying like this is like a man-made entrance, cave entrance? Well, it obviously is because the... the, uh, the... Well, for like from the last day, but somebody not from the previous expedition made these signs or... I mean, the signs don't correspond with anything you you necessarily. Well, give me a one point biology spend. Uh, yep, done. These triangular prints correspond with the triangular um, markings that the things have along their so-called feet, the locomotion system that they have. The tentacles that... Uh, so this is a fucking door? Dr. Altmaier. The squid people use? I don't know, that's your... Yeah, person. bring more guns, people! And more dynamite! <laughs> we'll blow them out of their caves. we smoke them out. So let me read this description out. Um, the site of Lake's drilling platform and these, uh, the subterranean cave... Um, it is a quarter of a mile to the southwest of the camp. The native stone approaches the surface here very closely and can be seen as a darkening of the ice. The wind is strong, well, not today, uh, and constant. The ground is for the most part utterly free of snow. The drill site itself is a tangle of twisted ice-rhymed metal that protrudes like a clenched misshapen fist from a depression in the surface some five feet across. The exposed pipes and lines are thick with rime. Heavy icicles extend horizontally from the large bars, some of them a foot or more in length. On all sides of the depression, the ice is cracked and uneven with a uh, scattering of gravel and small rocks close beneath the surface. About 20 feet from the edge of the depression is a waist-high mound of snow about 20 feet in length extending downhill. The snow buildup covers the tailing pile from the dig, a mound of rock fragments, bits of soil, fossils, and ice chunks dredged up from the hole made by Peabody's drill. As you investigate it, you find uh, sandstones and schists, mostly from the Jurassic and Jurassic period. Similar stone that the, the, the starfish uh, you don't find any anything quite like that. Um, you find uh, a few glossy black chunks and chips similar uh, to obsidian, but uh, see, there's also a large amount. I can use. I have geology. Uh, if there's anything to spend points on here. See, it's good hey to guys, bring I'm up gonna, the professor. I'm gonna go to bed. I'm gonna get going to bed because I'm sitting it out anyway. Because I'm back in the you know, medical recovery. Okay. That way, you guys can fill me in next session because I'll. Well, I think we're gonna stop any minute now. Anyway, yeah, we're right? stopping I mean, soon. But if you feel free to do that. Um, yeah. Well. Uh, yeah, that's pretty late for me, so I gotta yeah, uh, I work tomorrow. Okay, man. Cool. Okay. See you, See you next David. Time. Okay. See you guys. All right. 
Um, let's see. So even now we don't have David anymore. Your music is creating static sounds. Yeah, that's the wind. Ah, okay. But since you're inside of a cave, I'll turn it off. And then I'll turn this on instead. Heile, uh, how do you find the music again? I think I turned it off somewhere. It's in the chat, in the Skype chat. Uh, Skype chat. So uh, give me a one-point geology spend. Yep. Done. You dig through and you find uh, large amounts of limestone material. Uh, richly, it's richly laced with uh, fossils of various marine creatures. Um, this is quite a find, actually. Um, it's, it's, Look at this shit. It's a truly unique treasure cove of Comanchean historical information, which is uh, of a lot of interest to you. It's the, what you do for a living. You also find a green soapstone. And this is just by the entrance, right? We're, we're not yeah, even it's, in the it's, cave. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the, like, I, I'm the almost so excited now, I don't even have time to go into the cave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you also find a small green soapstone star. It's uh, smaller than the other one, the, the one you found before. But this is really bizarre. It kind of. It's about, it's about this, this size. Yeah. So bizarre. Are these creatures intelligent? What's going on? You pick up the stone. Um, and as you as you hold it and as you handle it, um, you notice that it starts becoming warmer. Oh. What the? It seems to be heating up. Uh, uh, let it go. <laughs> Put it into the ice. As you crowd around uh, the stone, uh, it seems to be getting warmer and warmer. Like uh, rapid, like. Yeah. Warm, warm. I. I it, uh, it heats up. Uh, so uh, it heats up about 15 degrees uh, Celsius in about a minute as you crowd around oh. and, and look at it. It's just heating up in your hand, and you can feel it. Um, oh, this is very fascinating. Um, put it into the ice. Quickly. Have, I, I put it down on a piece of ice. Okay. You can, as you put it down, you can see that because it's warmer, the ice crystals start to melt around it. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems to cool down again as you, mm. as you leave it there. That's interesting. As if it absorbs my body heat or something. Maybe. Sir, is it alive? It's not moving, if that's what you're asking. Okay, log it and bag it and tag it. <laughs> <laughs> moving on. I'll leave you All right. Um... Let's see. Can I just make a quick interlude? Mm -hmm. Reminds me of a classic session we had once <laughs> where Bjorn was DM and he's going on and on about how the horses are getting very tired now and they're almost to the point where they can't continue. And then Hask is just sitting like, But we continue. That's <laughs> <laughs> like 15 minutes of speech about the horses are almost dead, and <laughs> we continue. <laughs> but how else are you going to get there? Uh, sorry about that. All right. Um, let's see. What else do we find by the entrance? I actually think we should stop before we head into the cafe. Yeah, yeah I'll, gi I'll give you. I'll give you a good point to stop. Um, 
So from from the from the surface, the all you can see is a dark hole in the ice, about five feet across, with rough jacket edges, um, somewhat smoothed by man and weather. Um, ice and limestone, about uh, three feet thick, open away on two sides. You can see the floor about ten feet below the surface. Uh, directly uh, beneath the opening, you can see a large gasoline engine half crushed and on its side amidst, amidst a number of hoses and pipes uh, and drill heads. So the old drill. Uh, just to get you inside the cave, um, give me an athletics. Athletics roll uh, to get into the cave? Yeah, whoever is entering the cave, Tom, I guess. Yeah. Are you entering the cave as well, Altmaier? Yeah, well, one I guess. Okay, one at a time. Tom. Okay. I spent three points on it. Mm -hmm. um, seven. Okay, give me one second. Okay. Uh, you enter the hole without uh, without incurring any damage to yourself. It's, it's pretty slippery and, and hard to get in. Um, Christian, give me your roll. I'll spend one point. Okay. Uh, as you try to climb down, um, your foot slips, and well, just keep in mind that everybody's tied, uh, you know, with rope, so there should be some, you know, safety measures in place. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one, even two points of less damage. You get six yeah. points of damage. For oh. falling down? Yeah. In the you, you slip and you fall down. You land with your back on top of the turned over generator and you just hear this. <laughs> ah, my God! Sad <laughs> <laughs> dump. How much? Six points in health? Yeah. Uh, I have eight here on my seat. Well, now you have two. But That's plenty. That's plenty. What could go wrong? He needs to hoist him up and put him back to bed. What do you? Uh, what about you, Manus? <laughs> You're on the other end of the rope. You you managed to just uh, stop his fall a little bit as he as he slips with the uh, with the rope. I also rolled an athletics roll. I rolled uh, one and I used two points of three. Oh shit! Okay, well. So you're being pulled down in the hole with him. No? Oof! Same six points of damage. Whoa, Haile! You're not you're not you're taking off the gloves now, you. Yes. Yes. Bastard. You Just do, remember, you, guys, you, the physical damage is the less, <laughs> less of the two evils that's about to happen. At least that'll heal. Uh, <laughs> you do manage to stop his fall a little bit, but as you do, you slip and you fall into the thing, uh, landing probably on top of him, on top of some of the drill equipment. And, uh, God damn you know, fucking amateurs I'm with. It's not great. <clears throat> uh, more standing on, on top of the hole. Are you okay? Ow! Oh! I up the cops. What? Why the hell did we tie each other together? Uh, <laughs> well, you're supposed to hold on. So is this where we're finishing? On a pile inside a cave? Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, except as you're down there, you, you start to get up again and um, you look around and you can see that the cave is it's fairly low. It's about seven or eight feet uh, from floor to ceiling. There's almost no snow or ice inside. Um, is it a natural cave? 
yes, it's a natural cave. And um, it's quite beautiful, um, a little eerie. You can hear a faint whistling sound as if wind is passing through the cave and you can you start to feel this like very faint wind on your on your face um it's a limestone chamber hollowed out from the inside um anybody want to give me a one point geology spend sure it's the last one i have why not that's good it's the end of the session um you can see it's it it was probably hollowed out by a trickle of water from uh a long long time ago it seems to have been created over a long period of time mm. Uh, the wall are pale tans of uh, peaches and greens, and you can see hundreds of stalactites and stalagmites uh, creating a, almost a fairy story of columns and spires that uh, limit your visibility to a few yards into the cave. Uh, I'm almost done. Um, the cave floor beneath the opening is dark with mud uh, and boot prints, um, and to one side of the opening there's a small wooden folding table containing a number of small fossil fragments, a kerosene lantern, a small tin of uh, matches. Um, the lantern still has some fuel in it, um, and next to the table there's a number of small trays and boxes that have been tipped over and pushed aside, uh, and what used to be carefully labeled fossil bones and bits of rock have been spilled over the ground. And the cave seems to extend randomly in many directions. It's very irregular. Um, much of it doesn't seem to be accessible. Um, the floor of the cave is um, fairly level. Um, it seems to be a, a thick sedimentary deposit of soil and fossil fragments, um, which, uh, Tom, you would, you would know to have been deposited here by a river you know, a long time ago. And beyond that, you can see that there is just an immense amount of fossils here. This is a, a paleontology uh, find of the century. It, it could score, make somebody score, score, score. All right. Uh, beyond that, let's <clears throat> stop. Let's stop there.